We've gathered here tonight, around the fire, as people of all lands have gathered for thousands and thousands of years before us. Whether this is your first time visiting us, or your one hundred, we welcome you to our family of more than 500 million guests. This is Seeker. Listen up. We've got to get in, grab the Iguanodon, and get out before that asteroid hits. Let's roll! Whoa, boy! How was that for a spin? Now, please stay seated until your Triceratops comes to a complete stop. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 563, and I'm here once again, not only to help you have the best possible vacation experience when you go to the Disney parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of that Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, my live video broadcast on Facebook every Wednesday night, books, audio tours, special events, and more. Whether it's your first time visiting or have been hundreds of times, if you're planning a vacation, there's love, the history, details, secrets, and stories. There is something there for you because each week I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. You can find everything over at www.radio.com and subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. So at the recent San Diego Comic-Con, which I hope to eventually get to one day, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige revealed plans for the next phase is of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as what's to come to the new Disney Plus streaming service. And this week, we're gonna break down everything that happened in Hall H, movie by movie and show by show, and also look at what this means for the future of the MCU and its many characters. We're also gonna speculate about Phase 5, including Blade, Fantastic Four, X-Men and the Mutants, Spider-Man, and how this may impact Marvel in the Disney parks. We'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about a special guest coming to this week's WW Radio Live show, what will be coming next week to the live show in terms of a D23 planning and prep and prediction show, more information about our next meet of the month, your voicemails and more, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Hall H. To many those two words may actually represent like the most important room in Hollywood. This cavernous 65,000 plus square foot room in the San Diego Convention Center during Comic-Con International is where Iron Man debuted more than a decade ago to more than 6,000, very excited by the way, fans. And it launched not only what would become the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but billions of dollars in revenue and I think even more importantly unmeasurable joy 
for fans around the world. And this year, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige took the stage once again, not to talk about one film, but many. And the next phase is, plural, and years of the MCU and how they are taking shape on the big screen and small ones. And there's a lot to take in and digest and obviously to be excited for. So this week, we're going to deconstruct and devour everything that was revealed and what it means going forward. And I cannot, should not, will not do this alone. So I wanted to bring on somebody who knows and lives this comic universe. Um, The nerd quotient is about to be turned up to 11, and I mean that affectionately. This is a good thing, because today I am joined by Sean Gerber, comic nerd, again, I mean that in a good way, and founder of Marvel Studios News. Sean, it is good to see you, buddy. It's great to see you, Lou. I know we've been wanting to do this for a while. We met, uh, I think, didn't we meet during the Incredibles 2 press junket last year? I think so, and, yeah. Uh, we've been wanting, I've been wanting to get on this show, and I'm glad we found <laughs> the, the perfect way to do it. Uh, so I'm just, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you, man. It, uh, like I said, I've been listening to Marvel Studios news for a while. Um, what little time I get to spend in the car, I don't listen to, you know, a lot of other podcasts, but I dig yours, and I dig the way it comes from such a, a fan perspective and i gotta tell you man right off the bat i was and still am so jealous because you were in the the legendary halls of hall h and it sounds great and it sounds exciting but i know what it takes to get there literally and figuratively (laughs) tell me a little bit about your experience uh at at san diego comic-con well, getting into Hall H, unless you've got some pass that's going to get you right in. I mean, I do have a press credential for Comic-Con, but it doesn't really allow me to skip any of the lines or anything like that. I didn't have a direct invite from Disney or Marvel to jump the line and go to their panel. So that meant camping out uh, pretty much since I mean, they didn't actually allow people to line up until very early Friday morning. It used to be you would camp out Thursday night, but th- this year they stopped allowing any Thursday night lineup. So very early Friday, around 5 a.m. is when they started the line. And so from a mad dash of people, because they wouldn't let us stand still to start the line, to even try to start a line. So there's basically about, you know, it goes from 50 to 200 of us from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. playing musical chairs, walking around this section where we know the line is going to start. Until finally they say the line's going to start. So we start the line at 5 o'clock. And I was probably about, in the mad dash, I, I did better than most. I was like 35th or 40th, but people are allowed to hold spots for pretty much as many people as they want. The technical rule is five, but nobody enforces that. So we ended up being like 400 or 500 in line by wow. the time it was all said and done. But yeah, camping out from officially 5 a.m. Friday morning all the way until it was time to go in for the first panel. I think we started going in around 9 a.m. Saturday morning. So 28 hours in line at that point and then sitting through <laughs> All of the other panels, and there were some great panels. The Star Trek panel that opened it was pretty great. Uh, but making it through the entire day to get to Marvel Studios around 5.15, 5.30. Uh, but it's worth it because the uh, the Marvel Studios panel experience, there's not, there's absolutely nothing like it. Oh, so they don't clear the room for each panel. <clears throat> Excuse me. Once you're in, you're in. No, it's, yeah, it's not a D23 situation where they clear between panels. If you're in, you're in. If you're not in, you got to hope enough people leave by the time it, it comes to, uh, to make it to the panel that you want to get into. But as I said, I mean, it's worth the effort. It's pretty much indescribable, but the best way that I could describe it when a Mar- for a Marvel Studios Hall H panel, and this one was certainly no exception, this might have been the best one yet, at least that I've been to. And 
you take, as you said, it's this huge room of 6,500 people. So for most of the day, it feels, it actually feels kind of empty because it's such a massive room. Even though you have 6,500 people, it's a dark room and everybody's just kind of quiet, paying attention to the panels. But then the Marvel Studios panel, it hasn't, it hasn't even started yet. It's just the last panel ended. And so people know that Marvel is next and the chanting starts and all of a sudden you're at this rock show. And it's just this current of electricity, a very, very enthusiastic electricity that just runs through 6,500 people. And then it connects to Kevin Feige and everybody else on stage. And it's just nothing but pure energy for the next 90 minutes. Yeah, it's one of those places that I, I want to be in. Of course, when you say that you're waiting online for 28 hours, it's, uh, um, you know, that's like the line for Flight of Passage at Disney World. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I think to to be in that room and have that that um, energy of being there because they don't stream it, which I think is is wonderful for the people who are there. Um, right. Because it, there is sort of that payoff. Um, and you're sort of where does your fandom begin? I, I mean, I have to imagine just from listening to you on your show, this mm-hmm. is not something that started 10 years ago with Iron Man. This started a long time ago with you as a kid, literally, you know, digging through the racks and, and the comics themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to say where exactly it started. I know it predates my own memories because uh, I know that I was a big, big fan of the obviously comic books. But even before I was all that great at reading the 1982 Incredible Hulk series, I was born in 83. But uh, I had some my parents had some VHS tapes of it. Um, I, they were actually officially released. And so I think there was like a big, uh, big Hulk action figure that I was a fan of. And then they started uh, getting these VHS, these VHS tapes because I was such a huge Hulk fan. And so that started becoming my introduction. I know it predates my memory because there's a famous embarrassing story where (laughs) there's an episode of that Incredible Hulk anime series called When Monsters Meet. And it's Hulk versus Quasimodo, the hunchback of Notre Dame. (laughs) And there's a part where Quasimodo kidnaps Betty Ross. And then Hulk just chases after him saying, nobody hurt Betty, Hulk get her back. And so I would stomp around the mall at like three years old, screaming that line, embarrassing (laughs) my parents to no end. Uh, but it, it started with Hulk with via animation and then figuring out, oh, there's comic books with this. And so getting more Hulk comics. And that was where I found other characters because Marvel characters were always crossing over and popping up in each other's books. So that was how I found out about Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and the Avengers and everybody else. And so it just kind of snowballed from there between comic books and animation and also action figures. I had just about everything that Toy Biz was making back in the late 80s through the early to mid 90s. And then... Uh, this this entire time, though, the movies weren't happening. But I think for whatever reason, I was smart enough to know or just I was able to observe that, well, the, the visual effects, the technology just isn't there to tell these stories. You could tell a Batman story. You could tell a Superman story. <laughs> but the technology just wasn't there for these superpowers that the Marvel characters had. So it was just waiting for that. And then finally getting movies like Blade in 98, X-Men in 2000. But I think Spider-Man in 2002 was like, the OK, we've arrived yeah. now. Uh, sort of Marvel movie and then eventually when I found out of course as we all did that Marvel's that Marvel was going to become their own studio and they were going to make Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and Kevin Feige I I wish I was at this panel but I wasn't this was back in 2006 not even Hall H when somebody asked him about would you do an Avengers movie and he just said well when you have Iron Man Captain America and Thor you have the makings of the (laughs) Avengers and so I remember just geeking out about hearing that but then you always wonder because the history of Marvel live action adaptations was never all that great. (laughs) So (laughs) there were always some stops and starts and some failures along the way. But then when Marvel studios came out, well, really just that first look at Iron Man in 2007 
And then also finally seeing that movie, you just knew that we were in good hands and it just kind of went from there. And then uh, I thought, and people ask me now, like if Endgame and Infinity War, are these the kinds of movies you ever dreamed of? I'm like, no, like I was like, (laughs) the dream was a Spider-Man movie, maybe an Avengers movie, but going all the way to where we are now with the Infinity Saga now complete, uh, it's so much more than I ever dared to dream. Yeah, we we were happy with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno as Hulk and that short-lived, really bad live-action Spider-Man yeah. TV show. And look, I still watch every so often the the '67 animated uh, yeah. Lou Ferrigno uh, in slow motion works for me just fine. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's all I need. So yeah, we're we're way beyond what I was dreaming of. Yeah, and, and I remember when the um, when the announcement came that Disney was buying Marvel mm. in two thousand nine, and as at the time, what seemed like an, an obscene amount of money by spending four billion dollars. Although in in ten years they've made you know more than eighteen billion, so uh, kudos to uh, to buy yeah. uh, Bob Iger for that return on investment, and really the ability. And I think what what the reason why the films work so well is because Iger and Disney knew that the best way to let Marvel do it is by letting Marvel do it. They knew it was yep. in such good hands with Kevin Feige because, <laughs> you know, I mean, Kevin is a fan first. You see the enthusiasm on his face when Absolutely. he talks about the film and the characters. So rather than Disney trying to make it their own, they just sort of... um, um help to additionally empower him and the studios to make the films that they knew how to make well. Yeah, they really did. And and I think the reason it's funny, I'm reminded of your interview with Kevin Feige from last year, which by the way, is my favorite Kevin <laughs> Feige interview ever. Uh, what was so great about there, one of the great moments in there was when he was talking about the infinity war press conference that was earlier that day. And how annoyed he was that there were all these movie stars at this presentation and nobody was, and people were asking him questions. And I know he doesn't really care about the praise or doesn't even really want it. He wants to just have, you know, spread the praise everywhere else but himself. And so and I think people love and respect that about him. But the reason why people want to ask him the questions, whether it's reporters or fans, is because we do feel like he's our guy. He's our guy on the inside who really cares about this stuff on the same level that we do. And he respects it in a way that a lot of other movie producers and a lot of other studio executives have have never respected this kind of material. And he always goes back to the comics. Anytime somebody praises him for building this massive interconnected universe, he says, well, we just took the idea from the comics. You know, he's always going back to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and Jim Starlin and everybody else. And I think that's why fans have such affection toward Kevin Feige. But it's also why he's so good at his job is realizing that, there were great stories and great characters here all along. They just had to open it up to a broader audience, which is what you can do with filmmaking. Well, and I think, too, he is respectful of the original stories and the right. artists. And I think he's also respectful of the fans. And what I mean by that Absolutely. is he's respectful for those people that grew up reading the comics and know mm-hmm. the stories and know the, you know, Lee and, and Kirby and Ditko art. And then also the newer fans that are just sorting to dip their toe in this broad universe. And I think even as we start to talk about the films that are coming out, you know, a lot of these things are not necessarily household names to the average non, you know, super hardcore comic book fan. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, even look at Guardians of the Galaxy, which as we're recording this episode, today is actually the fifth anniversary of Guardians of the Galaxy being released. And go back even more than five years, go back seven years ago when the movie was first announced. And this was in the wake of the Avengers and everybody just thought, oh, Marvel must be so high off of that (laughs) Avengers money that they're just letting it fly now. But they really believed in the story. It wasn't just this thing of like, oh, we can afford to take a gamble. Marvel Studios was gambling from the beginning with Iron Man and and having to put up so many characters as collateral in order to get the 500 plus million dollars to finance Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. So it wasn't really about that for Guardians of the Galaxy. They believed in the characters and they believed in the story. And now look at where we're at. By the time before Guardians or right around the time a Guardian sequel was coming out, there was already a ride at Disney California Adventure. (laughs) So the Guardians went from being something that even a lot of comic book fans either hadn't heard of or barely knew anything about, and they became mainstream worldwide icons and household names. Yeah, I remember when Guardians, excuse me, was announced, I for one had no idea who they were. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, this is going to be the first one that Marvel Mm -hmm. stumbles on, because who are these characters? We don't know them. And look, even to a certain degree, Iron Man, when it came out, was probably not the most popular, most well-known. I mean, certainly Spider-Man would have been, but maybe not the one that they should have. So I think they were taking risks from day one. But again, I think it goes to the foresight. And when I say Iger, I mean as a whole, as a team, to say, look, you know, Marvel has 5,000 plus incredible characters and stories Mm -hmm. that we can leverage and really build upon. And having that vision of not just vision, pardon the pun, having the vision of not just going for the Captain Americas and the Hulks that we knew of before, but being able to really dig down deeper, as we're about to see now, into um, some amazing characters and storylines that go back, you know, literally decades. Absolutely. So so let's look, man, let's let's get into it, because there yes, is um, there is. is a lot to cover. And, you know, I, I will tell you, I was following along. At home, um, I was following along. Actually, I was following al- along your live tweets and refreshing like yours and other pages as fast as I can. And my son, who was downstairs on the phone with his friends and me upstairs, are yelling back and forth. Jay just announced blah blah blah. I mean, there was there was this crazy kind of excitement. And and as it was going on, it was surprise after surprise. I mean, look, most of the things that we're going to talk about, even for those who very much have their finger on the pulse were surprises. There were a few things that were rumored, but were mm-hmm. surprises. And of course, there were some things that we knew about. So let's let's sort of start um, on the big screen, and then I'll work our way over to Disney+, Plus. although I know there's going to be some crossover. And I guess the, the place to start would be the Black Widow standalone movie with mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson in May of 2020. So let's sort of talk first about where this film is going to sit in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of timelines. Of yeah, so which this there are one many. is going to be, uh, it's going to be post-Civil War. They didn't actually say that that during the panel, or if they did, I missed it as I was furiously like live-tweeting, just or feverishly <laughs> live-tweeting, just trying to keep up. Uh, I didn't hear it there, but David Harbour, who's in the movie, playing uh, a character named Alexi, also known as the Red Guardian. Which I think is awesome, by the way. The fact yeah, that he, <laughs> For people who don't know who that is, he's basically Russia's answer, Soviet Russia's answer to Captain America. Um, so, And I do, excuse, saying, just for a, quickly, from a Stranger Things perspective, I love well, that yeah. David Harbour's character is named Alexi. Yes, that, <laughs> that too. That was awesome. And so for... Uh, 
so David Harbour was the one who actually said in, in interviews after the panel that the movie is set uh, post Civil War. So if you remember how Natasha left Civil War, it was after the battle at the airport and she had actually been on Team Iron Man. But remember, she betrayed them when she stopped Black Panther as he was trying to prevent Bucky and Cap from getting on the Quinjet. So at that point, she had run afoul of the Sokovia Accords. So as Tony Stark told her, they're going to, you know, they're going to come for you. And then she takes off. So this is going to be set during that time period. And for whatever, I, I don't know what gets her into the the adventure that's happening here, but it's obviously going to be dealing a lot with her past because the footage that they showed us before we got to any footage from the new movie, it went back to her uh, Red Room sequences when Scarlet Witch gave her that vision in, uh, no pun intended again, in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. So we know we're dealing with her past, but it's not necessarily going all the way back to uh, it's, it's still mostly most of them are still set post Civil War because we do have a two year period between Civil War and Infinity War uh, where Marvel Studios can til- can still tell stories. And this is going to be one of them. Well, and I think and, and I, I'm assuming we're going to finally get to uh, pay off the references that we've heard so many times between her and Hawkeye uh, and seeing actually what happened in Budapest. Well, there was a sequence that happened in Budapest, but Hawkeye was nowhere near it. And it was uh, and it seemed to be taking place also post-Civil War. So not necessarily in whatever time period uh, Natasha Romanoff and Clint Barton had some crazy adventure that they remember very differently. So <laughs> I, I think it, it definitely seems to be delving into Natasha's past because the the sequence that we saw, it was her. It was in Budapest and she was knocking on a door and the person who answered the door was Florence Pugh, who plays Yelena Belova in the movie, who's another black widow in the comic books. And so they ended up having a fight and it was a really great, intense, visceral fight scene. One of the best hand to hand combat scenes I, I think we've ever seen in the MCU. And that's just from watching this version of it. Uh, that, isn't, that isn't even the final version that we know will be in the film at some point. But it seems like. Uh, based on a montage of other footage, there were other Black Widows that were present or other women who looked like Black Widow type assassins from the Red Room. And so it looks like there's going to be a lot of that. So whatever adventure Natasha uh, is on right here in this movie, it's going to bring her back to her past and her past is, and some of her past is going to come looking for her. And that also includes a villain by the name of Taskmaster who may or may not be uh, be played by Rachel Weiss. All we know officially is that, that char- is that Rachel Weiss is playing a character named Melina might also be Taskmaster. That's a popular fan theory right now. Yeah, I was going to say Rachel Weiss is in it uh, as well. But and and I love sort of the mystery of not knowing who they are going to be and where they they mm-hmm. fit in um, into um, into Black Widow's trying to wipe out some of that red in her ledger. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, um, the footage was really. I should just also the footage was really <clears throat> really impressive. Uh, Kate, it really looks like a Kate Shortland movie, and Kate Shortland, of course, is directing this movie. Uh, Rob Hardy is the cinematographer on this, and he did uh, he did Mission Impossible Fallout last year, which I thought looked great. He also did Annihilation last year, which I thought looked great. So it, it really is a. I mean, the the action looks intense, but just the the pure cinematography of it just looks gorgeous. Yeah, I heard you talk about how impressed you were with even the early cut of the fight scene itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes you hear, oh, why are they making a Black Widow movie? And then the more you learn, the more you start to get excited for it. Absolutely. And well, and I think you make a Black Widow movie. I know there's been some talk that maybe this is too late. People would have wanted this in phase two or phase three. And so maybe now the ship has sailed. I don't think people really feel that way. I think people, I think most moviegoers still love this character and are going to be excited to see this movie. And if the trailers look anything like the footage we saw at Comic-Con, everybody's going to be on board. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I dig it. And, and like I said, not even not having seen any of the footage of yet, uh, the more I heard, especially the David Harbour and the Red Guardian kind mm-hmm. of stuff really started to get me excited for this one. Um, I think what is next on the list in terms of uh, release date for November of 2020 mm-hmm. is The Eternals. And this is one of the ones, like I said, that the average person is going to go, the who, the what, the who, who yeah. are these Eternals? Of course, then when you start seeing what the cast list is going to be, you're like, wait a minute. All of a sudden, I need to stop and, and learn more because the Eternals is going to star Angelina Jolie, Richard mm-hmm. Madden, Kamal Nanjani, Laura Ridloff, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, Selma Mangello. And she hasn't finished changing her name yet. She's currently known as Selma Hayek, but we'll just call her Sel- Selma Mangello for the rest. Uh, Liam McHugh. Oh, I think you're, you're con- you might be confusing her with Sofia Vergara because she's married <laughs> to, to Joe Mangello. But yeah, it's just Selma Hayek. Well, she does have a hyphenated last name now with her husband. That's true. I think um, professionally she still goes by Hayek. <laughs> so, um, so again, the Eternals are a, a race of ancient super-powered human-like beings. This goes, again, this goes back to sort of that Jack Kirby era from the mid-70s. Yep. Sort of fill us in, in in exactly who the Eternals are. So the Eternals, it, it's something that Jack Kirby created in the late 70s. So he had been with Marvel throughout the 60s. He left for a brief time in the 70s to go to DC, and that was where he created uh, these characters called the New Gods. And so after he left DC, he still wanted to create, he was still playing in that space. And so for Marvel, he created the Eternals. And they are essentially these ancient, of course, eternal beings because they are immortals. Uh, so the way they came about, as far as uh, you know, the comic book backstory, is you have these ancient giants called the Celestials. And we've already heard the, we've already heard and seen of the Celestials somewhat in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Remember, our, our first exposure to them was in Nowhere in Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014. So Nowhere is the severed head of a Celestial. So that gives you an idea of how big the Celestials actually are. Um, and so, and, and we also saw a Celestial very briefly. When the Collector is explaining the Infinity Stones, we see a Celestial using the Power Stone to wipe out a planet. Another version of a Celestial was Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but really we're talking more of the Celestials along the, along the lines of what you see as the severed head of, that is nowhere in Guardians. And so they came to Earth, uh, well, depending on which version, I think, <laughs> I, I think in the MCU, Feige mentioned something about 35,000 years ago, but in the comics it was longer than that. It was millions of years ago. They came to Earth and they basically experimented on, it was... So not well, depending on the version of the comics in some versions, they experimented on humans and other versions, they experimented on a proto sapien. So basically an almost human. And so they created two races from that. They created the Eternals who were immortals who had various superpowers and all of those kinds of things. And then they created the bad guys, the deviants who are not immortal. They're more ugly monsters, but Eternals and deviants were basically fighting for control of, uh, of mankind for many years, but then ultimately having to spend most of their time living in the shadows so we they've been around this entire time, but we just haven't really seen them. So and that's pretty much what fits with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because these are going to be characters who have obviously been around for thousands and thousands of years. So they've been around throughout all of these events of the MCU, but they haven't necessarily uh, revealed themselves to the world. And there was a reason for that in the comic books that they added later on, where it was actually one of the other Eternals who had blocked out the memories of all the other Eternals. So they couldn't actually remember that they were Eternals with superpowers. They just thought they were regular people. So that would be a pretty easy way for Marvel studios to solve that, uh, to answer that question of, well, if these guys had superpowers, like why didn't they help us when Thanos was around and all of that, all those things. So 
There may be an answer for that in the source material, but the, the more important part besides the comic book minutia that I can just go on and on about <laughs> is just that these are really, really fun and interesting characters. And Marvel Studios is going off book with some of these characters. Like Selma Hayek is playing Ajak, who's been described as the leader of the Eternals. She's not uh, that character is a male character in the comic books and not actually a leader of the Eternals. So there's a little bit, uh, you know, they're, they're deviating somewhat from the source material there, but I think it's something, and there's other places where they're doing that. Lauren Ridloff playing Makari, who's kind of the speedster of the group. That's a character who is another male character in the comic books. And uh, they've described Lauren Ridloff. Of course, uh, she's a deaf actress playing the first deaf superhero in the Marvel cinematic universe, which I think is awesome that they're doing it. So they're going off book a little bit, but, I think the ways that they're going off book are actually going to make it better because even though Eternals, I think is a great concept, it's not really something Jack Kirby got to finish. His run was only 18 issues before it came to an end. And I think it came to an end probably prematurely. And the Eternals have only popped up here and there in comic books over the years. This is probably even more obscure than guardians of the galaxy in Marvel comics history. So this would set a new record for Marvel studios in terms of the most obscure thing that they've adapted. But I think the beauty of, that obscurity is that it gives them a lot of freedom to really adapt because even though I praise Marvel studios all the time for being respectful of the source material, they also know where and when to pick their spots when they want to change things to try and improve characters and make stories better uh, and make them more presentable to a movie going audience. And I think that's what we're going to see in a big way for Eternals. So for all the question marks about this property and how nobody's ever heard of it, it's very similar. Even though I would say it's more obscure than guardians, it's not that, uh, it's still fairly similar to where Guardians were at seven years ago and look at where they're at today. So it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if audiences, when they first see a trailer for Eternals, are like, what's that? But then they <laughs> give it a chance because they trust Marvel Studios. And by November of next year, everybody's loving these characters. And so even though it wasn't acknowledged in the MCU, it isn't, wasn't, spoiler alert, wasn't Thanos an Eternal that had sort of deviant, gene or a deviant mutation yes. or something so he was so we actually have seen an eternal before even though it wasn't necessarily said out loud yeah it will depend on how they whether or not they do that portion of the comics so i should should add really quickly when when jack kirby originally created the eternals they were not even part of the marvel comics universe they existed in a universe that was actually much more like our own where marvel comics were works of fiction and then it was through retconning later that they brought the eternals into the main marvel 616 universe And so when they were doing that, they built out the mythology of it because at first the Eternals started popping up in Thor comics. And then that was where the big kind of retcon happened with Eternals, where they tied it into Thanos and his family. So the way it worked in the comic books is you had uh, you had Zurus and then you had Alars. Zurus is like the basically the Odin of the Eternals on Earth. Alars is uh, is as you you heard his name in Avengers Infinity War. He is the mentor. That is Thanos's father. So there was a time where it came down to who was going to lead the Eternals and everybody chose uh, Zoros won by a majority vote. So Alars didn't want any of his any of the people who supported him to undermine Zoros on Earth. So Alars actually left and went to Titan, which in the comic books was a moon of Saturn. So he went there and he started a race of Eternals over there. And that was where Thanos came from. So Thanos had the deviant syndrome. That was why he had this more monstrous look, the big purple look. He also has a brother uh, named uh, Eros who goes by Star Fox. And we don't know whether or not uh, that character is going to be in the movie. 
but but that character is an eternal. Thanos is still technically an eternal in the comic books. So uh, Marvel Studios could potentially make that connection in the MCU. I don't know if they will. It's something they could easily leave out, but the options there. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, from a, a film perspective, I think that Guardians and then Captain Marvel really started to bring this this superhero world from Earth to sort of the the more um, the more cosmic universe. Is that sort of where we expect this movie to to take place? Not necessarily on Earth, but um, you know, insert insert giant you know uh, <laughs> the word space across, across yeah. the screen. <laughs> Well, most Eternals adventures actually do take place on Earth. Um, it's space that comes to us, not the Eternals going to space. You know, what kind of gets the whole thing going in Jack Kirby's run, and it, and it pops up occasionally in other Eternals books, is the Celestials come back to Earth. Because every so often, the Celestials will come back to Earth, and they're going to issue some sort of judgment, which is basically whether or not Earth continues to have life on it. So they would wipe us all out, not <laughs> Eternals, but also humans. Uh, and they have the power to do it. And so it's kind of been the Eternals job to help us basically continue to be worthy of uh, continuing to exist on this earth when the Celestials come in uh, to to pass judgment. So it's still, it usually is Earth-based stories. You, you don't really get a ton of Eternals battles actually out in space. But at the same time, I, because Marvel Studios seems to be going at least a little bit off book on this one, it might be something where it's a little bit half Earth, half space. I mean, there's probably going to be some space stuff as we figure out more about the uh, more about the Celestials. At least that's one uh, definitive space element to it. And if we get, if they actually do confirm that everybody on Titan was an Eternal before they all died in uh, presume, you know, before Thanos's origin in or during Thanos's origin for Infinity War, then we, there could be a space element. But it's not definite that it'll be there. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting again how they um, introduce these characters, how they are going to be received, and again, like like I said, I think it's going to be that same type of a Guardians thing. This this lack of awareness of the characters and their stories, but an immediate sort of um, uh, attraction to them. Much like I think even the mm-hmm. next on the the next film coming out, which will be February twenty 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 one, the first um, Asian led film from Marvel, which is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which came from, you know, the stories that came out of the old Bronze Age of comics with, with mm. about this this Kung Fu master. And for those who have seen Iron Man, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I've, I've heard about these Ten Rings before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the Legend of the Ten Rings, I mean, it goes all the way back to the very first scene of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Iron Man, which is Tony Stark being kidnapped by the Ten Rings. And there's been there's been a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, they even showed Kevin Feige even showed us, hey, there was a guy that maybe you didn't notice had a Ten Rings tattoo in Ant-Man uh, mm-hmm. during the Hall H presentation. But yeah, the Ten Rings, it's been around ever since the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe got started with Iron Man, came back up in Iron Man 3 but it was a fake version of it. Aldrich Killian had his was basically appropriating the name 10 rings and also the idea of the Mandarin. And of course was hiring Trevor Slattery to play, to be uh, the Mandarin for the purposes of television in Iron Man three. But as we learned in, of course we knew that was fake in, in Iron Man three, but as we learned in the all hail the King Marvel one shot that was attached to the Thor, of the dark world, Blu-ray, the real Mandarin is still out there. And the real Mandarin is going to be played by Tony Lung, and he will be going up against Shang-Chi. 
who's going to be played by Simu Liu. And the movie is going to be directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. And if that's not a name that you've heard before, uh, a lot of actors who've blown up in recent years, like Brie Larson, like Rami Malek, uh, like Lakeith Stanfield, they broke out in a movie called Short Term 12 that was directed by Destin Daniel Cretton earlier this, earlier this decade. It's a phenomenal movie. So once again, Marvel Studios has uh, you know put in a great director. I should quickly add Chloe Zhao, who is directing Eternals. She's awesome. You should definitely check out her movie, The Writer, if you haven't seen it. Uh, she's a phenomenal talent, and so that's why I'm so excited about Eternals. But yeah, Shang-Chi, I think, it's, I think this one is just going to be incredible. Simu Liu came out on the stage uh, when Destin Daniel Cretton uh, formally introduced him as Shang-Chi. He's super charming, super funny, and charismatic. Told the story of how you know Hall H was on Saturday. It was the previous Sunday when he had screen tested, and then a couple <laughs> days later on Tuesday got the job, and then five days later he's in Hall H. Right. That's Andy with Comic-Con. Just an incredible, you know, very fast journey. Uh, for this actor. I mean, I'm sure there was other parts of the process that happened before that Sunday, uh, but I'm really looking forward to this one. I think Marvel Studios is going to really, I think this one is going to surprise audiences in a lot of ways. I'm sure this is, you know, Shang-Chi is the master of Kung Fu, so you know there's going to be a huge martial arts component to the film, uh, but also Shang-Chi is just a really fun character, and he doesn't really have uh, the most well-defined rogues gallery compared to other comic book heroes, which I, I think is why Marvel Studios is going a different route and having him face the Mandarin, who's traditionally more known as an Iron Man villain. But spoiler alert, Iron Man's done in the MCU. So all of his villains from the comics are now up for grabs, including the real Mandarin. And I think it's going to be great to see uh, Simu Lu go up against Tony Lung. Yeah, and I think for some fans who are are were the the more hardcore comic book fans this has a chance to maybe right some of the wrongs that iron man 3 did because i remember when the mandarin sure. was revealed to not be the mandarin um it's interesting what you can read on twitter in terms of sure. some of the reactions and the backlash to it you know as somebody who wasn't familiar with the character you know i dug that twist a little bit especially you know and i thought ben kingsley was great but there were a lot of people who were very upset because this is not the mandarin that they expected but like you said he wasn't wasn't fu manchu um shang chi's the his primary wasn't 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 yes. his father yeah. wasn't fu, fu manchu his yeah. father yeah fu manchu was his father and was the the main villain for shang chi in his initial run in the comics but even the co-creator of shang chi uh jim starlin who also created Thanos said that he didn't want Fu Manchu to be in Shang-Chi's movies. And what a lot of people don't know about, I mean, you can pretty much get it from the name Fu Manchu, that that's not a very real name for an Asian <laughs> character. Um, it's certainly not a, a very sensitive name for an Asian character. And that character wasn't even an original Marvel comic book creation. That character was originated in pulp comic or in pulp novels from, I think it was like back in the thirties or forties. And then Marvel bought the rights to that character and then eventually he was included in Shang-Chi. And so there were a lot of things that were very problematic about that, about those pulp novels with the characters. And even Jim Starlin has gone on to say, you know, at the time he wasn't aware of the characters, you know, complicated history. And so and he, you know, regrets some of that material and didn't want it to make it into the movies. So there was no question that they were never going to have Fu Manchu be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all. So it, it's better to, to change things up a bit and go in this direction with the Mandarin. Yeah, and I, and I love the fact that there's going to be that instant connection and tie back to some of the old Iron Man, some of the, or the old, right? Some of the early um, Iron Man films. But I, I have to tell you, <clears throat> of all the, the the ones that were announced, and again, I was, as each new one was announced, I'm like, no, this is the one I'm most excited about. This is the one I'm most yeah. excited about. 
the one that I think continues to be most interesting and intriguing to me is the May 2021, mm. May 2021 Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Like, this is the most comic book named title <laughs> oh, for great. a movie. Like, I just, I, I, I absolutely dig it because, again, th- just in the title alone, we're connecting to the multiverse, which we heard talked about in Spider-Man Far From Home. And even though mm-hmm. there really was no multiverse there, it automatically brings it all together. Um, when Doctor Strange first came out, I was like, again, only being somewhat familiar with him from the yeah. comics in terms of maybe his appearances elsewhere. I had to sort of keep watching the movie. The more I watched it and the more I sort of got away from it, the more I enjoyed it. And then the more I saw Benedict Cumberbatch in the Avengers films, the more mm-hmm. I went back and liked Doctor Strange. Now, all of a sudden, I'm incredibly intrigued because, again, Scott Derrickson is returning, but was on the stage talking about how this is going to be the first time that Marvel really sort of dips their toes into what he has described as a gothic horror type film. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And that's what I was hoping for. It it had been reported previously that Scott Derrickson was going to be back for the Doctor Strange sequel. And I was hoping that Scott Derrickson would be allowed to work in more of that scary space that he is so incredibly good at. I mean, Sinister is one of my favorite horror films of the past several years. And that was directed by Scott Derrickson. I think he does a great job with that. And I I love the first Doctor Strange movie. I really liked it a lot. But I also feel like I, I couldn't help but feel coming out of that movie that there was so much more that they could do with Dr. Strange. And I think they were limited. They were actually limiting themselves in the first movie because they only wanted to go so far because all of the the magic and mysticism and sorcery that was brand new for the MCU. Yeah. I mean, it was every bit as new as the cosmic stuff with guardians was a couple of years before. So they wanted to try and, you know, ease into that for audiences and there was a lot to take in. I mean, there was a lot to yeah. take oh, in, in, yeah. in that film. Sure. Exactly. So, I mean, it was probably the right call, but I think what we saw over the course of his uh, very brief appearance in Ragnarok, but then especially in Infinity War, and then also uh, a little bit there in, in Endgame when he came back, is you see just how much further this can all go uh, with all of this magic and all of this sorcery and, and seeing Doctor Strange. I mean, you can see his power level has increased exponentially between the end of his first film and when Infinity War takes place. So I just want to see him go so much further with it. But another thing that uh, with another thing with Doctor Strange is that as crazy as it is, he Doctor Strange does also lend itself to some of that horror stuff because the multiverse can be scary. (laughs) There are things that are just downright terrifying in there, including a character called Nightmare who basically lives in the dream world and will try to imprison you there. I'm guessing that character is somewhere in the madness of this multiverse uh, that we will see this as at least one antagonist in this movie. We will see the character of Nightmare. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of scary, fun storytelling potential with that one. And as you said, it's, well, there are two movies in this. And um, I know the other one's next that have the greatest comic book movie titles <laughs> right. of all time. Uh, and one of them is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That title also has me wondering, though. I mean, we know the multiverse is real, even though Mysterio lied about it in Spider-Man Far From Home. Doctor Strange toured the multiverse in his first film. But the Multiverse of Madness, that that almost sounds like wordplay to me, because inside your own mind, there could be a multiverse. And so I I wonder if it's going to be a literal multiverse that Doctor Strange is going through, or if it's one uh, inside his own head, or perhaps also in the head of Wanda Maximoff, who we found out is going to be in this movie. 
Yeah, and that's the other interesting thing too. And I love the brilliance of of Marvel in doing this, and and even going back to, um, I guess it was probably the first time I, I sort of felt this really cool crossover was. Wasn't it in Winter Soldier how it, it mm-hmm. came out like on a Tuesday and like the or it came out like on a Friday and then on Tuesday Agents of Shield premiered and there was a connection between the film and TV. This is now going to directly connect not just Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but uh, WandaVision um, mm-hmm. is going to be connected with in on Disney Plus. Yeah, it is. WandaVision is actually going to come out before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So that Kevin Feige did say that's directly going to set up, uh, you know, Wanda's place in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So she's going to be coming right off of that story and be impacted by it. And WandaVision, I mean, the one piece of concept art that we saw was basically leave it to Beaver with Wanda and Vision. (laughs) And I don't know. And it's crazy for me to try and figure out what that show is uh, because last we saw vision was still dead. So I don't know if Wanda and or Shuri have found a way to revive that character. Uh, but even if they haven't actually revived vision, Wanda's known for creating people inside her own head. So it wouldn't surprise me if vision is only alive again inside her own mind. And so if we're setting up madness in that respect, that could also lead to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I don't really know where it's going to go. Oh, one quick point, because I've seen people asking this question, because uh, Scott Derrickson did say that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness uh, is going to be the first scary MCU movie if it was going to be rated R. Uh, but Kevin Feige's response to that, because somebody shouted that out in the crowd, and Kevin Feige said it's going to be PG-13 and you'll like it. So <laughs> like, it is still, even though it's going to be scary, it's still going to be PG-13. Yeah, and, and we'll touch on WandaVision again when we get to, to Disney+. Plus. But even the logo, first of all, again, the cool name WandaVision sounds like something you go to at a movie theater. Like, it's sense around yep. with WandaVision, but it's got that sort of 50s vibe to yep. even the logo itself. And I was wondering, like, okay, did Shuri, when in Infinity War, did she make a backup? You know, did with listen, you have to assume that they're like smart enough to start making backups of things. Um does she yeah, have an like, iCloud backup of Vision somewhere? And I think she might have because you can actually see uh, if you watch the scene when Corvus Glaive shows up, you can see her look at Corvus Glaive and then look back to the screen and then like tap on the upper corner of the screen, right. which is where we would always have to do like a quick save, save or, <laughs> right. a save pass or whatever. Right. You know, like it's very it very much looks like she was backing up her work. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. If uh, even that if I mean, Vision could just be alive inside Wanda's mind, but he could also have been actually revived and be back to life here in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I totally think it's possible. And Shuri could have a hand in it. We don't know that Shuri is going to be part of the series, but we know that Monica Rambeau is going to be uh, in that series played by Tiana Paris, the the grown up version Mm -hmm. of Lieutenant Trouble that we met back in uh, Captain Marvel this earlier this year. Yeah, again, I love the fact that it continues to remain all connected. Uh, but look, you you hinted to it, and November 2021 brings us arguably the greatest, and I thought it was a joke. Like, I'm like, this has got to be just a placeholder. because. <laughs> and then I saw the logo, which to me screams He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> Thor, Love, and Thunder. Like, I did. I, I thought it was a joke, and then Kevin's going to go. Because remember years ago, they announced um, – what was the Captain, Captain America, America? Serpent, Society. Serpent Society, right? And then all of a sudden that that changed. Um, but please keep it to be Thor, Love and Thunder. Get me my T-shirt as quickly as possible because. Yep. And, and I have to tell you that I love the first Thor. 
Dark World was maybe not my favorite in the Marvel Cinematic sure. Universe, but uh, Taika Waititi in, in what he did in Thor Ragnarok was phenomenal, and he is back again, uh, along with Natalie Portman. And, and and we'll talk a little bit about Natalie Portman. Well, we'll talk about it right Because, look, I liked Natalie Portman in the first. I have to tell you, I wasn't all that in love with her performance in Dark World. I think she sort of phoned that one in a little bit. I won't even mention her quote-unquote performances in Star Wars Episode 2 or 3. They were not going to go down that road. Maybe that was purposeful. I don't know. But I think Taika is the guy that can pull the best. Uh, she is a phenomenally Absolutely. talented actress, and I think he is the one who's able to pull it from her. I think so. I mean, I, I think the whole, I think she's just reinvigorated and to come back and be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, it was it I mean, there's obviously the Mahershal Ali Blade stuff that we'll get to. That was obviously a shock, but this was every bit as shocking to me as uh, as Mahershal Ali because I thought Natalie Portman was done with mm-hmm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I thought that was it that they were that we were never <laughs> going to see her back in the MCU, at least in any sort of meaningful way. Besides, you know, the little bit of I guess outtake footage they said they used for from Dark World for her appearance in Avengers Endgame. I, I thought that was it. I thought that was a wrap. Although I've heard different stories on whether or not she actually filmed new material for Endgame. But regardless, I thought she was done. And so when Taika was talking about introducing the mighty Thor, you know, a female version of Thor from Jason Aaron's run, I thought he was going to introduce a different actor. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought he was about to tell us that Gwendolyn Christie was going to be in Thor Love and Thunder. Like, that's what I thought was happening. And then he says Natalie Portman. And my jaw hit the floor because <laughs> I just could not believe that she was back. But I think that's the thing is, yeah, she probably did phone it in a bit on Thor of the Dark World. Also, the material wasn't all that great. So I think, you know, in Marvel Studios, I think they know that Thor The Dark World, I still love it because I love all the movies in the MCU, but I don't love it as much as I love the other ones. So I don't <laughs> you love have to rank them. At some point, you have to rank them, and there's got to be ones yeah, that are on the bottom. Yeah, right. Thor The Dark World usually ends up at the bottom of most people's <laughs> ranking. But um, I think Taika Waititi is totally the reason why she wants to come back and do this. I think pretty much everybody, any actor working today, wants to work with Taika. And knowing the way he approaches things and he has a voice and a vision that is so exclusively his mm. and there's just nobody else who has anything like that just offers anything like it. And so I think Natalie Portman was obviously attracted to that. I'm sure he had a great pitch for what's he, what he wants to do with the story. And if you know the background of Jane Foster as the mighty Thor in the comic books, you know, there's a lot of very emotional, very powerful storytelling that happens with this character that I feel like they will probably get into in Thor Love and Thunder. And I don't know how much I would want to say here without spoiling it, but it's in the comics if you want to read it. <laughs> but um, I, I will just say, like to summarize it without getting t- too in-depth on it and potentially spoil anything that's in the movie, Jane Foster, when she becomes the mighty Thor, she's also dealing with uh, having breast cancer. And so part of being Thor is, and part of having the power of Thor is, it, uh, you know, it cancels out the impurities in your body. Well, chemotherapy is actually an impurity that's used to fight cancer. And so Jane Foster, just by, just by purely being Thor and wielding the hammer Mjolnir is literally shortening her own life with this terminal illness because the being Thor actually nullifies the effect of the chemo of the chemo treatment that she's undergoing. So it's a really beautiful and heroic sacrifice on the point of Jane Foster throughout that story. Um, and it's just a lot of great stuff from Jason Aaron. So I'm not surprised at all that Taika Waititi saw that and was very inspired by it. And it wouldn't surprise me if some of those elements make it into Thor Love and Thunder. And I think the results would just be extraordinary. Everybody's going to expect 
all the fun and all the humor and, and all the laughs that, that you know that you're going to get from Taika based on Ragnarok. But I think you're going to get loads and loads of heart in this movie as well. And that's to say nothing of, I mean, and that's just based on Jane Foster. We're not even talking anything about <laughs> Thor himself yet or Tessa Thompson, who's going to be back as Valkyrie. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of things, again, not even being there, but seeing some of the, the photos. So one, I, I could imagine the response in the room when Jane Foster walks out holding mm -hmm. Mjolnir, right? So there's that instant well, actually, sort of... she walked out without it, and it was Taika who got down on one knee and presented her with it. It was really <laughs> funny. There's, a, there's some great photos of it where you can see Taika, like, presenting her with Mjolnir. Uh, it's, just, it's just awesome. But it, it, it also creates that question, though, because he presented her with Mjolnir, not Stormbreaker, mm -hmm. and the Mjolnir that they took from the past in Endgame, Steve took it back with him, so it has me thinking that the Mjolnir that was broken apart in Norway and Ragnarok is going to find itself put back together and it's going to call to Jane. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's again where these things all fit in this very now somewhat muddled timeline is is interesting. Um, but you mentioned Valkyrie, too, because there were some um, there were clearly deliberate references there in terms of Valkyrie looking for her queen and yes. maybe sort of the the. It, it's not just Valkyrie sort of, um, of having that 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 royal mantle, but, you know, does this sort of introduce the first sort of LGBT, you know, uh, character and hero in mm -hmm. um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, well, I mean, since she's already been introduced, she technically would hold the title of the first LGBTQ character in the MCU, although in the story, she hasn't been in the MC. She hasn't really been shown to be LGBTQ. We haven't really seen her. We obviously haven't seen her interact with anybody on in a romantic way, other than a little bit of an attraction that she and Thor had to each other in, in brief moments in Ragnarok. But we didn't really see, uh, as far as her searching for a queen, we didn't really see that in uh, in any of the films so far. But we're going to see it in Thor: Love and Thunder. But there also will be at least one. We don't know which one it is yet. Uh, but there will also be one uh, LGBTQ uh, hero in Eternals as well. Yeah, and the other um, the other thing that I, I just hope when I, when you hear Taika Waititi, I, I hope Love and Thunder somehow impacts Korg, who was like who stole the show for for me when yeah. um, and which was played by Taika Waititi. I think maybe not everybody knows. Yep. Um, was just a, a wonderful, again, completely unknown character to me. But uh, but but Korg and Meek were. Um, were really were really nice, fun side character in uh, in Ragnarok. Yeah, I'm sure I am a hundred percent sure that Korg and Meek will be back. There's no way that they're not going to be in the movie, um, and it's also going to be a really interesting film for Thor because this is the first film post Endgame, and his ending for Endgame was great because you know very different from Tony Stark, very different from Steve Rogers, where we're actually finding an, an end to their story. Uh, on a more permanent basis for Thor, it's kind of the end of a chapter of his life where for thousand for over a thousand years, he spent his time, you know, really worrying about the person he's supposed to be. And this is Thor now just embracing who he is and living his life as he is, as he says at the end of Endgame, you know, for the first time and, you know, or in the first time in a thousand years, I have no path. So I think this is also something that Taika was very attracted to, to come back and tell another uh, Thor story is now he can do literally anything. There's mm -hmm. nothing that's like preordained of this is where you have to go with this character. You can go in any, absolutely any direction you want. And you also have to wonder, what does this mean for the Guardians of the Galaxy? James Gunn has confirmed that, well, we know it's going to be released before Guardians 3, but also in the MCU timeline, uh, James Gunn has confirmed that Love and Thunder takes place before Guardians 3. 
Last time we saw Thor, he was uh, using his eyes to argue over who was in charge of the ship <laughs> of the Benatar. <laughs> I don't think the Guardians are going to play a significant role in this story, but you do have to answer that question of where are the Guardians since that's who Thor was with the last time we saw him in Endgame. So I, I think what will probably happen is we'll catch up with Thor and the Guardians and then you know have probably some funny scene and then they will part ways. So Thor goes on whatever uh, journey he needs to be on. Uh, for the sake of this movie, but there's just so many things. I mean, obviously Valkyrie's got stuff going on. Thor is going to be able to do just about anything. And uh, Jane Foster is the mighty Thor. That's also going to be really, really interesting. So uh, there's so much potential with this one. And you know, with Taika Waititi, it's just going to be crazy fun. But as I said, have this one's going to have a lot of heart, I think. Yeah. And, and to be clear for, so it's because it can be somewhat confusing, you know, fat Thor is still fat Thor, but, but Jane Foster is also going to take up that Thor name in terms, like you said, the, the splitting hairs, but it's the mighty Thor. It, it's her yep. own version of her own incarnation of Thor, whose powers are are somewhat different than fat, fat you know, fat Thor. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in the comic books, the way, you know, Thor doesn't Thor has become when Jane Foster became Thor in the comic books, Thor the male version of Thor that we know from the MCU, he was at the time unworthy. He couldn't actually lift Mjolnir and neither could Odin, who was the person who actually put the enchantment on the hammer in the first place, Jane Foster. And they didn't know it was her at the time. She was the only one who was worthy. And so, but what Thor did, because remember Thor, his full name is Thor Odinson. Mm -hmm. And so in the comic books, once he realized that whoever had this hammer and he didn't know it was Jane at the time, but what he witnessed was her being able to wield Mjolnir in a way that he never could. Um, and so like as powerful of you, as you've seen Thor with Mjolnir, Jane Foster's mighty Thor is even more powerful uh, with Mjolnir. And so that was when he said, well, you're, you, you're not just worthy of the hammer. You're the one who should have the name Thor. And so Thor basically gave his name to her and just started going by uh, Odinson. He's since gone back to being referred to as Thor uh, in the comic books, but you know, the, at, while it was going on, as far as uh, as far as Odinson was concerned, there was only one person who deserved the name Thor, and it was her. Yeah, and, and I do love it. And listen, one of my favorite scenes um, in Endgame, of which there are many, was uh, after Captain Marvel came down and, and Peter Parker mm. gave her the gauntlet. And there's that assembling of all these female superheroes yes. to see so many of them, to see so many female superheroes getting their own films and starting their own sort of um, uh, chapters in this next phase. Um, I, I really, really like And And speaking of next phases, <laughs> you know, I think, and you tell me, cause you were there. One of the most interesting parts of the hall H presentation was the end where Kevin Feige looking at his little piece of paper. He's like, listen, we don't have much time to talk about. Oh, by the way, black yeah. Panther two, Guardians <laughs> 3, Captain Marvel 2, did I mention Fantastic Four and what I think is going to begin Phase 5, Blade? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, he didn't even mention Blade. Uh, he The last one he said was Mutants, and then he said, and then he, he had said Fantastic <laughs> Four and Mutants, those were the last two he mentioned. And then he said, oh, by, oh but we're not done. Then he introduces, he says, oh, we're going to bring out, you know, two-time Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali, who comes out on the stage, and we have no idea what this is about. We we do not know. And he comes out and he puts on a hat 
and like you couldn't really even see exactly what was on the hat but then the logo blade flashes on the screen and then you realize like oh it's a blade logo on the hat and everybody just erupts <laughs> i actually because feige had just said fantastic four i was almost expecting him to introduce mahershal ali as reed richards or something because mm-hmm. we had no idea i mean We've known since the Fox deal closed that obviously Marvel Studios is developing ideas now for Fantastic Four and for X-Men and other mutant teams and characters and things like that. But we really had no clue at all. This is one that Marvel Studios completely kept hidden from everybody. (laughs) There wasn't a whiff of this anywhere other than, you know, there were for a while. I mean, there have been some fan wish lists of, oh, wouldn't it be great if Mahershala Ali played Blade? But nothing as far as Marvel Studios actually working on something and so for them to be able to make that introduction and show that he's Blade. And so not only is it Mahershal Ali, but he's going to be starring in a movie that we had no idea Marvel Studios was even planning on making in the foreseeable future. It was just incredibly exciting. And I mean, and the whole thing, I, I felt like I went from all of a sudden I went from being in Hall H to being at the NFL draft because here comes this <laughs> prized pick in Mahershal Ali walking out, wearing the suit, putting the hat on, hugging the president of the studio like he's the commissioner of the league or something like it was incredible to watch that moment. And you know, it's, it's Marvel studios history. It's MCU history that, you know, that, that Mahershala Ali is introduced on this day uh, as blade. And it was just, it was, uh, it was just, I, I felt like it was a privilege to be there. I mean, it was, even though it was a privilege, I, I feel like I mostly earned for hours and hours. Like it was <laughs> right. incredible to be in the room for that moment. Well, and what I love about Feige is he's so not Hollywood, right? There's nothing Hollywood yeah. about him at all, right? Wearing his hat and hat and secrets. But it, it's such an amazing what a, what a great showman to finish out mm-hmm. the presentation that way. All right, so we obviously knew that a Captain Marvel two and a Black Panther two and Guardians yep. three was coming, but fans of Marvel have been literally begging for a good Fantastic Four film for ages. Um, I, I don't mean the. Fantastic Four and the Fan Fantastic and the Silver Surfer and the uh, as un- unreleased version that that never made it out, but it it was almost sort of glossed over um, in in a single sentence. But this is actually this is a huge deal for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, this is really the first family of the MCU. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's. I mean, we don't have the Marvel that we have today, including the MCU, you know, we don't have the Marvel age of comics and we don't have the Marvel cinematic universe without fantastic four as Stan, as Stanley would famously tell the story, you know, fantastic four was the result of him wanting to quit comic books. And it was his wife, Joni, who had actually said, well, if you're going to quit anyway, why don't you just write whatever you want to write? And if it doesn't work and they fire you, who cares? You were going to quit anyway. And that book became fantastic four, which Stan co-created with Jack Kirby. And obviously, Fantastic Four have been a mainstay of Marvel Comics ever since, but they kicked this whole thing off. And so I remember for years, even before uh, before the Spider-Man deal with Sony, you know, there were those three major things, uh, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and X-Men, that were not available to Marvel Studios when this whole thing started. And I used to say back then, if one of the three could come home to Marvel Studios, I would pick Fantastic Four over any of them. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm a bigger Spider-Man fan than FF, Spider-Man was able to have at least a couple of good movies without Marvel Studios. And X-Men had had a couple of good movies without Marvel Studios. But Fantastic Four, it's been slim pickings <laughs> the entire time. And so I was like, Fantastic Four needs Marvel Studios. They yeah. need Kevin Feige and Ludi Esposito, Victoria Alonso, and all the other people in Marvel Studios Parliament, all those executive producers. They need all of those people uh, who have that kind of respect for this material and this specific property to really bring them to life in a way that they deserve. 
So I, I just can't be, I, I couldn't be happier that Fantastic Four is going to be coming. And that's not just the FF. That's also characters tied to that license. I mean, Dr. Doom yeah. is going to get to be a villain and probably a major villain in the MCU in the years to come. Silver Surfer and Galactus getting to play in this uh, in this universe now. It's just extraordinary. And uh, I'm I'm excited to see whatever Marvel Studios does with uh, with mutants and X-Men and all that stuff. I think that's going to be fun. And I'm a big X-Men fan, of course. But because I've already seen some good X-Men films, I'm a little more impatient when it comes to Fantastic Four. Sure, <laughs> I want yeah, that yeah. as soon as we can possibly get it. And I'm, But I, I obviously want it to be great and for Marvel Studios to give it the time that it needs to develop. And I have no doubt that they'll do that. So I don't know when it's going to be uh, that we're going to see Fantastic Four. But, but whenever we see it, I know it's going to be something special. Yeah, you know, the mutants and the X-Men, again, that entire universe that can be explored there. The dust sort of needs to settle a little bit yeah. on on Days of Future Past oy, and some of the other uh, later X-Men films. And look, I, I you know, I dug uh, Chris Evans as Johnny Storm and Jessica Alba as Susan Storm. But those films, if they came out tomorrow, enough time has passed and fans have been clamoring for that for a long yeah. time. And look, that wouldn't, you know, speaking of a character playing a different character in the Marvel Cinema. You know, Chris Evans is is the Human Torch. He's also Captain America. But um, Raja Ali was also Cottonmouth in the yes. Luke Cage um, uh, shows on uh, on Netflix. So again, those two worlds don't necessarily intersect. There's a little oh, bit of overlap. They're definitely not the same universe. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, was, wasn't there like a little bit of a reference like to Loki in daredevil and jessica jones um didn't didn't jessica jones make a reference a slight reference to avengers so there's an acknowledgement that these worlds exist but there's really no other type of crossovers yeah it's really been more of a one-sided thing where the netflix shows will occasionally refer to something that's happened in the movies but the movies will never ever ever refer back (laughs) to the netflix shows and so for a long time they didn't. Really, I don't remember Loki specifically, but I. Well, I think yeah, they did. I think they and they also mentioned like a magic hammer or something mm-hmm. like that in the first season of Daredevil. It was mainly the Battle of New York, and referring to that battle as the incident was the the official name for it uh, in the in the Marvel Netflix shows. But over time, it became clear that these two things weren't really uh, they weren't really part of the same universe anymore. I mean, there there would be some references like Jessica Jones refers to the raft prison, which we saw in captain America civil war and they'll name drop other Marvel characters. But these are also things that are very present just in, in any Marvel universe, these things are going to be present. So they don't have to specifically be part of the MCU. And so the, the shows as they've gone on have felt less and less like they're a part of the universe. And I think now having Mahershala Ali, well, Alfred Woodard already played, you know, she plays Mariah Dillard in Luke Cage and she's, (laughs) Uh, she has a very small part in Captain America Civil War. Um, you know, she's the one who's lost her son who talks to uh, Tony out next to the uh, elevator in Civil War. So we've already kind of had that in a smaller way. But this is obviously a much bigger thing with Mahershala going from playing one of the main villains of Luke Cage season one to now being the character of Blade. But I think it's also a pretty definitive sign that Marvel's not really worried about any you know confusion right. <laughs> when it comes to continuity with the Netflix series. They've never really paid much attention to him anyway, and now they're just on doing their own thing, especially now that all those shows have been canceled. Yeah, right. (laughs) And I actually, you know, I dug the original Blade. I want to call it the Blade trilogy. I I dug parts of the original Blade. The first two two movies, those still hold up. The the third one never did, but the first two movies for Blade, those hold up. But Deadpool was in it, sort of. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, Deadpool was in the third one, so, right, that's, the so one that you, that's the one that you cancel out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so I mean, Ryan Reynolds. I mean, I just like uh, I like him as an actor, but it, it's also interesting too. Does you know is Blade going to be introducing the world of vampires into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I think so. I mean, I, I think. I mean, it has to be in someone I mean, because he is a vampire, so or a form of a vampire as the Daywalker. So that has to be in there. It doesn't necessarily mean that the main villain of the first Blade movie will be Dracula. But I mean, introducing <laughs> that portion of the mythology to Marvel, I mean, it could be. Um, but uh, there will definitely be vampires in the MCU. And it's interesting that something like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness comes before, obviously, Blade. Because if that's going to be the first scary MCU movie, that kind of hints towards other things, towards scarier elements in the MCU, more supernatural elements being present in this universe. And and Kevin Feige actually directly linked, not in terms of story, but in one of his uh, post Hall H interviews, he did actually mention that uh, you know he mentioned that you know that Doctor Strange kind of opens the doors to tell stories like Blade, you know, and have characters like Blade in the MCU. So he is drawing a little bit of that you know kind of vague connection between those two properties. Uh, so I, I definitely think that Doctor Strange maybe introduces some of those horror and supernatural elements and then Blade just goes uh, all the way with it. And, you know, as you start to think again, without getting without going too deep into the rabbit hole, you know, we have to remember where geographically a lot of these stories are taking place and how mm-hmm. they may start to overlap. You know, at some point, somebody's got to realize, like, there's this spider guy and this daredevil guy and this kingpin yep. guy and Jessica Jones all sort of happening in the the same uh, boroughs of New York. Yeah, well, yeah, for the Netflix stuff, for sure. But yeah, as far as the MCU is concerned, none of that stuff's ever <laughs> happened. <laughs> Spider-Man's been the main superhero because most of the Avengers have been, uh, they've been outside of New York. Or, uh, I mean, they left uh, they left Manhattan in uh, at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron. They went to uh, their Avengers compound in upstate New York and then, the tower was sold in uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming. So uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I think for for the purposes of the MCU, there's not that many heroes occupying New York at the moment. Although it, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know that it would be a Charlie Cox version of Daredevil, but it's already become a very popular fan theory that, you know, Peter Parker could use a, lo- uh, could use a lawyer right now <laughs> based on the credits of Spider-Man Far From Home. And Matt Murdock's a pretty good one. So maybe there's an opportunity there. But Actually, the Netflix shows or the Netflix characters are off limits for two years apiece from the date of their cancellation. But we're already almost a year into the yeah. Daredevil cancellation. So that character is almost able to be used again. And listen, I don't know how many times you saw Far From Home. Uh, I may or may not have seen it four times in theaters. And I wanted to almost <laughs> hit pause to see if it was the Baxter building or if it was Oscorp uh, and, and what the future of the old Avengers Tower is going to be. I mean, I'm rooting for Baxter Building. Um, I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be mad if it were Oscorp, but you know, I I know a lot of people think that it must be Oscorp because this whole thing has been taking place in Spider-Man movies, but it's not completely unlike Marvel Studios to sometimes plant a seed without even knowing a hundred percent what it's going to grow into. So I think when they made that decision to sell Avengers Tower in uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, obviously they would have had no idea that the Fox deal was going to come up uh, later on, but I still think they planted that seed thinking maybe it'll be Oscorp, but maybe an opportunity will arise for it to be something else. And because we had no mention of who owns that building in Spider-Man Far From Home, not even the slightest hint, uh, they can complete whatever, even if the plan was for it to be Oscorp, they have the option if they want to change that plan to make it the Baxter building, they totally can now. And I hope that that's what they go with. 
which is not to say Norman Osborn can't be in the MCU. He just doesn't need that. Doesn't building. need that, right? Right. And so, just to be clear, for those who don't know, the Baxter Building was the home that the top four floors of the Baxter yep. Building was was home to the Fantastic Four. So I think, and I think, again, not to sort of get uber nerdy, but I'm going to get uber nerdy because. There were so many amazing Easter eggs in Far From Home, and as they are by mm-hmm. that construction site, they show you the one, two, three, and the four yeah. left blank, which I think you can mean four, Phase Four is coming next, and maybe it's the yeah. Fantastic Four coming next. The font looks just close enough that it made me think of the Fantastic Four logo. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. So no again, these are taking place. There's things happening on the big screen and the small screen as well. Disney Plus, just take my money already. You had me at Disney Plus. You had me at Mandalorian, but you really, if I could prepay just to get it right now, and I'm looking forward to seeing what well, the interface is going to be. you can prepay at D23. They announced that I know. This week, so. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I, there's going to be a lot of people with credit cards out, and it's 6.99. Yep. just brilliant in terms of well, it's supposed to be a special offer for uh, d23 members and, and expo attendees so we'll see what happens and uh, maybe there'll be a little even i mean i think the price for disney plus is already great but yeah. it might be even better at the expo we'll see take give me the lifetime pass i'm i'm ready um because yeah, if no, you weren't if, excited if they'll, lock me, if they'll lock me in at that rate because <laughs> right. i know it's not going to stay there <laughs> Because if the the offerings from just the Disney side and the Marvel side and the Star Wars stuff didn't get you excited, we learn more about what is coming. We had heard about, I think, all of these, or at least rumors of all these before. Let's sort of start with um, it. Start with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, and if you're a fan of the stories, I think as excited as you are for. Uh, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, you are equally excited for the tease of the villain Baron Zemo. Yeah, I am super excited about that. I think, well, of course, love Zemo from the comic books, but I also think Zemo in Captain America Civil War is one of the more underrated villains of the MCU. I think he did. I think Daniel Brühl was great in that movie. And I really like the way Zemo was able to turn the Avengers against each other in that film. And, and obviously at the very end, uh, with uh, with Tony and Steve. So I love that character in the MCU. I'm so happy that Daniel Brühl is going to be back playing this character. He's also going to have his purple mask this time. That was teased during the uh, the Hall H panel. But then you also know you're going to get a very interesting story for Sam and, and Bucky. I mean, these are two guys who their strongest connection has been from their mutual best friend, and now that guy's gone. So, I mean, he's not dead yet. He's an old man. But, well, most of the world thinks he's dead, according to Spider-Man Far From Home. But it's still going to be interesting to see how these characters respond. I mean, we haven't really spent that much time with Bucky ever since he was, uh, you know, quote unquote fixed in Wakanda. So what is life like now for Bucky Barnes? And also I, I think the fact that the title, they didn't retitle this. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if they might retitle this and call it Captain America and the winter soldier, but because they're calling it Falcon and the winter soldier, I think that points to going, telling a story where Sam is having to really come to terms with this new role and becoming Captain America. He was already a little bit reluctant to even take the shield from Steve at the end of Avengers Endgame. But taking the shield is one thing, you know, putting on a a full costume and becoming Captain America. And Anthony Mackie has said he's tried on his new costume. So there is a new costume. But, you know, for, for, uh, for Sam as a character to have to take on that role of not just the shield, but the full on mantle of Captain America. That's a whole other thing entirely. Uh, so I'm sure that's going to, the story is going to uh, cover a lot of that to uh, cover a lot of that ground. Well, and I think it's not just Sam coming to terms with the loss of his friend and him having to take up 
such a heavy burden, but I think even maybe people's acceptance of yes, a new absolutely. Captain America um, and, and how does that fit in. So I, I'm looking forward to his character development as as the man behind the mask as opposed to just the superhero. Um, and I love, love, love Sebastian Stan as Winter Soldier. And, and if you're familiar with the comics, you know, they've all sort of held the shield at, at different points too. But it's really Zemo that I am excited about. And and although when I watched the, the film initially, I didn't know a lot about the comic book character, I was fascinated by the impact that this villain without any real superpowers had right. in terms of fracturing the Avenger. I mean, look, his his fracturing of the Avengers and this this very um long methodical plan may have really allowed the um what happened in Infinity War and, and Thanos getting the Infinity Stones and doing what he did because of 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 what he did to the team itself. And I think too, I, I dig him as a villain because like the vulture, he's so his story is so sympathetic. Um, yep. I think Michael Keaton was brilliant, and again, not to go off on a Spider-Man tangent, but part of the reason why I love that character so much is because you, you, he's not motivated initially just by power or money. It comes from a very personal place, much as it does for Zemo, and we have an understanding of his motivation, and one of my favorite scenes is when Ross is like, so how does it feel, you know, to spend all that time, all that effort, mm-hmm. only to see it fail, and he just goes, did it? And I was like, oh, yeah. God, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, I, I dig the fact that we're going to see him again. And look, uh, you know, Black Panther even says, you know, um, the, the living aren't done with you yet. And and maybe, obviously, Zemo is not done with them either. No, I mean, now he's, uh, I mean, he wanted vengeance on them once. And now he's going to want vengeance again. You know, first time for for taking his family, or at least him holding them responsible for the loss of his family, but now holding them responsible for him still being alive. Well, if I'm still alive, then that means I can, you know, you still owe me a debt and I'm going to come to collect. And, and you're totally right in terms of Zemo's impact. He is, he's arguably the second most impactful villain in the entire MCU. Thanos obviously is number one, but after that you could go, I think there's a, a strong, there's a strong case for, to say that Zemo in terms of the overall narrative that he made as big, if not as big of an impact, if not bigger than Loki. And so even if you say Loki wins that debate for second place, then Zemo's no lower than third place. And when it comes to the most impactful villains in the, in the overall story of the infinity saga. Yeah. And there's even, you know, there's some subtleties to his character. Like he, his use of violence is not, you know, so many of the other villains are are inherently violent and there's a lot of, of bloodless killing. He almost seems to do it reluctantly and he even apologizes to T'Challa for yeah. the death of his father, which you don't normally get from a villain, um, which is part of the reason why I, I instantly gravitated toward and, and again, his portrayal of the character was phenomenal in the films. Absolutely, yeah. I can't wait to see more of him in this series. And, and so in Hall H, um, how much did they show? Because didn't they show... Um, some footage and then Zemo sort of comes in and put the mask on. There was was no real footage from the series itself. I I think the footage that they played was specifically for comic con. It was just a video of Daniel Brühl as Zemo, who's now grown a beard 
Uh, so I don't know if that's <laughs> just because Daniel Brühl has a beard for another role uh, that he was shooting at the same time, or if he's going to have a beard uh, in the series, but it was just, it started out with him saying those, those trigger words for Bucky from Captain America, civil war. And then he said, you know, those don't work anymore. And then he, those don't work anymore. Do they? And then he proceeded to just go and kind of taunt uh, Sam and Bucky. And then at the very end, you know, there's a flash of the footage that shows him wearing his iconic uh, purple mask from the comic book. So that was pretty much it. As far as, uh, as far as footage goes, it was just that little, you know, Zemo promotional video. Yeah, and I'm sure that so that was cool enough. That's all I needed. Yeah, I was say, I'm sure the hall um, lost its mind. But so yeah. we 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 quickly touched on WandaVision. Um, again, I feel like it's something I'm supposed to go and buy somewhere. But yeah. it's been described in terms of Disney Plus as a mega event series, um, mm-hmm. and and something that's unlike anything that they have done before i know elizabeth olsen said it it's gonna get weird as if it wasn't weird enough to begin with and we're gonna understand a little bit more of her character as scarlet witch yeah that was the the thing that that i was really most excited about in terms of what she said was you know via this series you're really going to start to understand what makes her the scarlet witch which you know previously up until this point we've seen the powers of the scarlet witch but the character doesn't really get called that the character is just it's Wanda Maximoff and so I think seeing her reach kind of another level as a character and even embrace more of another superhero type of identity I think is going to be really really interesting it's hard to figure out what this means the whole vision part of it is is just such a wild card is this you know is it because Shuri saved her work as we were talking about before or does vision exist inside the mind of, of Wanda but even if vision's back Vision is going to be very different because he would, even if he's back, he's not going to have the Mind Stone because the Mind Stone that they used was returned uh, to where they got it in, uh, well, yeah, that was 2012. They successfully (laughs) got that Mind Stone. So that's back in 2012. In the present day, all these stones have been reduced to atoms. So that's not available to them. So Vision would come back very different. It would almost be reminiscent of uh, when Vision was kind of taken apart and and reassembled in West West Coast Avengers when Vision became this all white character. Um, not saying that's going to be what Vision looks like visually, but it, it we will see a very different version of that character, I think, one way or another. As far as what that means for Wanda, it's it's very hard to say. That's what I love so much about this series, though, and why of all the Disney Plus shows, this is the one I'm the most excited about because I think it's the most unpredictable of everything. I just know it's going to be weird, and I <laughs> want it to be weird because if you know anything about Wanda, things tend to get weird with her in the comic books. And I, so I think there's going to be a lot of fun there, but also with vision, I, I don't want to dismiss the impact of vision on this story because there was a great comic book run for vision, uh, a great series around about 12, 13 issues by Tom King, who uh, he's since been working at, at DC and he's co-writing the new gods movie now for DC with Ava DuVernay. But he wrote this fantastic vision arc uh, a few years back. That was basically the comic book equivalent of breaking bad. It was really fantastic. <laughs> And so I hope, even though this series is called WandaVision, not just Vision, I hope some of that uh, has an influence on this story. There could just be a lot of quirky, weird, fun stuff in it. And speaking of character arcs and development, it's a, it's an easy transition to Loki. Mm-hmm. Because what I dig about what the Loki story is going to be is this is going to be, and again, you sort of almost need to make a diagram to keep track of yeah. who is <laughs> But this is the Loki that stole – if you haven't seen Endgame, turn it off right now. This is the Loki 
that stole the Tesseract in Avengers Endgame, which means that this is the 2012 Avenger Loki. This is villain Loki before there was any type of slight uh, redemption in the character. This is going to go back to the the original Loki that we knew. Yeah, this is the Loki who got away with it. I mean, he didn't win the Battle of New York. He still lost, but he didn't have to be punished for it. He wasn't thrown in prison for it. And remember, a lot of Loki's redemption really got started with the death of his mother, which he actually played a hand in. So in that, you know, that led him towards this path of redemption and the arc that we saw him go on from Dark World all the way through his death in Avengers Infinity War. So now none of that stuff is going to happen. And Tom Hiddleston even said, you remember Loki from the Avengers, right? He's still that guy. So this is a much more devious, much more, you know, just purely villain version of Loki. Although you could still say, even in the first Thor film, even in Avengers, Loki was always a bit conflicted uh, as in terms of his villainy. But at the same time, villainy won out in, in Thor and in the Avengers. And so that's still the version of the character that we're dealing with here who has escaped with the Tesseract. And so I think that that opens up a lot of opportunities for some good, you know, mis- it's really just opportunity. It really creates opportunities for him to just be the God of mischief. And for us to have a ton of fun with that. I don't think this means he's going to be running into Avengers. I don't think they're going to be very good at tracking him down because it's really hard to find somebody who's got the space stone and can just open up a portal and go wherever they want, whenever they want. So I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things going on with this character. One of the questions I have though, is you know Thanos in this timeline presumably would would still be looking for Infinity Stones, and so I wonder if there's an opportunity. I know it might be over budget for uh, for Disney Plus, but I in the back of my mind I'm starting to wonder whether it would be in a season one or potentially season two. Although these are being described as event series, not necessarily things that are going to be ongoing. If this story ultimately ends with Thanos still mm-hmm. finding Loki, just at a different spot, you know, right. with the Space Stone, and what does that mean? <clears throat> Will we see another confrontation between those two characters? That's what I would, that would be like my pie in the sky dream for it, but we probably won't get that. But either way, it's just going to be a ton of fun watching Loki. Tom Hiddleston is just absolutely fantastic in this role. And I'm happy that we're going to get to spend a lot more time with him. Uh, listen, I like you would love to see Thanos come back. Look, I mean, Loki is the character that just won't die, right? We've seen yep. him die over and over again. And Thanos said, look, no resurrections this time. Surprise, I'm resurrected again in my own series. <laughs> yep. So um, I don't think anybody wants to see, you know, Loki and Tom Hiddleston go away um, no. anytime soon. No, uh, not at all. I am going to jump a little bit out of order because I want to save what if for last mm-hmm. because you talk about unique properties, but – you know, characters that maybe were not initially the most beloved Avengers. Look, I kept on saying movie after movie. I'm like, what happens when Lo- when Hawkeye runs out of arrows? He's just a guy <laughs> with a stick. Um, but Jeremy Renner is back for mm-hmm. a Disney Plus show that's going to debut in fall of 2021. And it's not just his Hawkeye story. It's the story of him training Kate Bishop to yep. become the new Hawkeye. So he gets to and i think he he said this he gets to teach another character without superpowers how to be a superhero yeah yeah he actually said that he's going to teach her how to be a better version of hawkeye so uh kate bishop is a very popular very beloved character in the comic books and that's something that you know a lot of people have been wondering if if this is going to be inspired by uh the matt fraction hawkeye run and i do think it will take some inspiration from that that involves Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. 
And in terms of the just the font for the title card for Hawkeye, <laughs> looks very much like right. the Matt Fraction comic book run. So it, it appears there's going to be some similarities there. I do think there will be some differences. That version of Clint Barton does not have a family. And of course, we know this version of Clint Barton was just reunited with his family in Avengers Endgame. But it's really the Clint Barton Kate Bishop relationship that I am looking forward to the most. One of I think one of the more underrated relationships and, and friendships in the MCU has actually been Clint and Wanda. There's there's a kinship between those two characters, and with that great speech that Clint Barton got to give her uh, during the the Battle of Sokovia in Avengers: Age of Ultron, where he said, "If you if you step out the, that door, if you fight, you fight to kill. You are an Avenger." And the way that kind of when she's not thinking that she's going to be able to help in this fight. He's the one who encourages her to step out and actually just unleash her powers. And obviously she makes a huge difference for the Avengers in that battle. And ever since then, there's been that bond between those two characters. And we see it because they get a, I'm so glad they got a little scene together during Tony's funeral in Avengers Endgame. So that idea of that, that mentor and mentee relationship, we've already seen a very cool version of that in the MCU between Clint and Wanda. And so now we'll see Clint take on a new mentee in Kate Bishop. I think that's going to be some really, really great stuff. And also because we know these series are tying directly into the movies, WandaVision is going to tie directly into Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. When you just look at the lay of the land between Peter Parker and Shuri, and you also have Cassie Lang, who's a teenager now uh, because of the whole five-year jump in Endgame, And then you add Kate Bishop to the mix. All of a sudden Marvel's got this pretty healthy sized roster of young heroes to where, if they wanted to do Young Avengers or more recently, the Young Hero team has been called Champions of the Comics. They have those options. They have a team, even if it's not for the grownups, they, they have a team of young heroes that they could put together. Yeah, which could certainly be, an, again, another um, Disney Plus series. The thing about the Hawkeye series that intrigues me most, I didn't love Hawkeye as Hawkeye, but I really loved his short time on screen as Ronan. Um, mm-hmm. I loved the dark character i love being seeing him in japan and i know we're going to the the series will explore yes. some of that time not as a superhero um but as ronin yeah yeah they did say that it will cover some ground with ronin so i don't know if that means that this story is going to be set you know during the 5 year time period or if maybe some of it is going to be set during that 5 year time period some flashbacks to ronin that maybe catches up to hawkeye in the present uh, while he's in this process of training Kate Bishop. So I'm not sure exactly. We don't know yet how how exactly it's going to fit in the overall MCU timeline. Uh, but either way, it's going to be really exciting. And I'm really happy to see more. I'll be thrilled to see more of Clint Barton as Ronan and learn more about what he was up to and and even seeing some of those things perhaps come back to haunt him in this series. And, and of course, you know, this introduction of Kate Bishop. Yeah, and I, I wanted to save, I think, Arguably the most interesting series for last. Uh, and it's the What If, the Marvel What If series, which if you're familiar with the comics, it really sort of gave remarkable, expansive, poetic license to mm-hmm. the artists and the animators to say, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? What if Wolverine became the Punisher? What if Hulk actually had the brain of Bruce Banner? And we see what happens when he does. This is going to be an animated series that Mm -hmm. is going to be narrated by Jeffrey Wright, who's going to be the Watcher, who is a cosmic being that oversees the multiverse and um, I guess will help sort of narrate some of these stories. We'll talk about the Watchers in a second and where we've actually seen them before. 
But in terms of the cast, uh, I, I will quickly go through because it, you're going to hear once again, Michael B. Jordan is Killmonger, Sebastian Stan is Bus- Bucky Barnes, Josh Brolin will be back as Thanos, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce the Hulk, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Samuel Jackson, Chris Hemsworth, Haley Atwell, also known as Haley Mangello as Peggy Carter, Chadwick Boseman, Karen <laughs> Gillan, Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye, Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas is back as Hank Pym, uh, Neil McDonough, Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark, Sean Gunn as Craglin, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, Taika Waititi as Korg, Toby Jones, Korath, Jeff Goldblum, and Michael Rooker as Yondu. Figuring out whatever these stories are going to be about is is going to be the fun part. And that's exactly what I imagine this series being is what if um, uh, what if I keep want to call her. What if Peggy Carter got the super soldier serum and mm-hmm. ended up being the superhero? This is the one where the sky is the limit and anything goes. Yeah, it really is. And, and even though Chris Evans wasn't on that list, I expect him to be there because when Kevin Feige first talked about one of those what if episodes, the the what if Peggy Carter got the super soldier serum, the other part of that story was supposed to be and Steve Rogers was using uh, an Iron Man-esque suit made by Howard Stark. So I mm. still think Evans is going to be part of this, even if he wasn't on that cast list from Comic-Con. But I mean, the the Killmonger one really intrigues me. It makes me think, what if Eric Killmonger, is this going to be the story of what if Eric Killmonger was born in Wakanda or what if he, what if his father had taken him back to Wakanda? So that way he actually got to be the heroic version of Black Panther, you know, instead of T'Challa. So that is something that uh, I think could be really, really interesting. And all of these things, it's just going to be so much fun. And it's such a cool experiment that they get to do. And and I'm also really thrilled on the part of all of those actors because they totally don't need to do this. They totally right. do. None of them need <laughs> to to take the payday that they're going to get, which would be a reduced payday for something like this that's going to be animated to do this for Marvel Studios and Disney+. Plus. But I, I think it just goes to show how much respect there is, you know, for this, for this overall universe and for Kevin Feige and the entire team, for all of these actors to be willing to participate in this, because it's going to make it better. This series, I don't even, it wouldn't be nearly as much fun if they were hire, having to hire different voice talent right. to come in. But because they have the voices we've heard before from these actors in live action, doing the voices for this animated series, it's just, it just makes it that much better. And Jeffrey Wright as the watcher, I think is a perfect choice. I think that's going to be just a tremendous amount of fun. I mean, what if all of these series, I, I, I'm tremendously excited about them. As I said, WandaVision is probably tops for me. This one might be second, um, but it is one of just the coolest things that Marvel Studios has in this phase four slate uh, because they can literally go anywhere they want with it on an episode by episode basis. Yeah. And like you, I, I appreciate and applaud. I'm grateful for the voice actors coming back instead of instead of them try, having to try and find somebody that kind of sounds like Tom yep. Hiddleston, you're going to get Tom Hiddleston. You're going to get all of of the uh, original voice actors. But I think what's interesting too is this this concept of the Watchers, who we've actually seen. We've seen these sort of you know alien galactic record keepers um, in the cam in the the. That was the mid credit, the post credit scene of Guardians Two, where Stan Lee is actually sitting yeah. with the Watchers. Um, I don't know if I don't. I don't think Stan Lee was meant to be a Watcher, although he very well um, could he have been. But- transcends space and time in that scene because he actually he shows up twice in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. It's when uh, Rocket, 
Craglin, Yandu, and, and Groot, they've made they're making those like seven hundred jumps or whatever it is to get to <laughs> Ego's planet. And so oh, we very right, 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 right. around. That's our first look at Stanley and the Watchers, which is a great band name. And then we have, <laughs> uh, and then later on in the mid, one of the mid credit scenes, we get the the Watchers again. But at one point in one of those sequences, Stan actually says, "In that time, I was a Federal Express man." Well, remember Guardians 2 actually takes place just a few months after Guardians 1, which is in 2014. Stan is a Federal Express man in Civil War in 2016. So he's describing a sequence that happens two years after that moment. So, I mean, it just adds to to the mythology of Stan's character that this is a guy who just moves through time, uh, which I I absolutely love. But yeah, having the Watchers, that was a great, I mean, that was just an absolute geek out moment for me that I'll, I'll always remember in Guardians 2. They still haven't actually said the name that I'm, I'm hoping they will say, though, because the concept of the Watchers, the reason they could do that in Guardians 2 is because the concept of the Watchers, that was something that they shared with Fox. But there was one specific Watcher, the main Watcher who watches over Earth uh, in the comic books is named Uatu. And that character specifically was owned by Fox. Well, now we know that the Fox stuff is, is, done, is done with. So I'm hoping that we find out that Jeffrey Wright's Watcher is Uatu. Uh, which would probably mean that not only would we hear his voice in what if, but then he would also probably end up showing up in movies mm-hmm. as the main watcher of, uh, of the Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. And, and speaking of, of names that we didn't hear for one reason or another is, is Ant-Man and the Wasp and certainly mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Uh, we know that yep. there's more Spider-Man films coming again with the complicated relationship with Sony. Maybe that is the reason why. So we wonder um, what is next for for those characters too? Well, with Spider Man, you never know. I mean the the official the last time we heard anybody say anything officially about the deal because a lot of people you know forget what it was. The original deal was only for two movies. It was that Spider Man would show up in a Disney distributed film, which of course was Captain America: Civil War, and Marvel Studios in turn would make a Spider Man solo film to be distributed by Sony, and that was Spider Man: Homecoming. And then they made an extension which covered Infinity War and Endgame for Disney and then covered uh, Spider-Man Far From Home for Sony. And as of the last time anybody spoke officially about that, both Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal had said that was the end of the agreement. I believe there's already an extension in place that that just hasn't been announced. I just can't imagine why you would do that mid-credit scene that would make everybody so excited for the next Marvel Studios <laughs> Spider-Man movie if Marvel Studios didn't know they were going to be making another Spider-Man movie. So I think it's just it, it didn't get announced at Comic-Con either because it's being safe for D23 or because this is these are Sony distributed movies. Maybe Sony wants to be have a more official role in the announcement. So I don't think anybody should take the absence of a Spider-Man announcement from uh, San Diego Comic-Con as any sort of cause for concern with regard to Ant-Man and the Wasp, however. It, we'll see. I mean, 2021 already puts us three years out from Ant-Man and the Wasp, being at, uh, which was released last year in 2018. We could still see another Ant-Man film, perhaps in 2022, but we're getting fur- as we get further away from Ant-Man and the Wasp, it feels like it's less likely. And when you know that the Ant-Man films, while they've been very profitable, haven't been breaking the bank like other Marvel movies, it does kind of put them. I, I do think it's kind of a an on the bubble yeah. sort of franchise, but I still think there will we will see them again. Maybe it's a Disney Plus series or the other idea that I've had anyway, my own fan fiction for Scott and Hope is that I mentioned the idea of a Young Avengers uh, team or Young Avengers movie. If Ant-Man and the Wasp don't get their own movie again, I would love them. I would love to see them be the chaperones of the Young Avengers team. 
So there, there are options available for those characters, even if they don't get their own third film. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're, it's easy to say that maybe their story has been complete, um, even just seeing the, them together in, in Endgame. Uh, obviously, I'm excited for the, the future of Spider-Man. Uh, I, won't, I won't mention the mid-credit and post-credit scenes, but I will tell you that my brains fell out of my head when I saw him um, oh, appear. Two of the best on- ever. Two of the best <laughs> ever. Yeah, without question. Um, I I think I may have gotten. I think I may have felt a tear stream <laughs> down my face because you, it was something I thought would never happen again. And I'm like, there's nobody else that could play that part. Um, exactly. So 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 of all the things that um, that have been mentioned, if you had to sort of look at the list and say this is the one I think that I am most excited for and just and can't wait to show up first, what do you think it would be? I mean, I'd love to just say all of them because that really is the honest answer. But if I had to pick one, I mean, I almost am tempted to just say Black Widow because that's first and then I can change my answer as soon as it's out. Um, It's so hard to choose. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Eternals. And I I know for a lot of people, a more popular choice might be Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness or definitely Thor Love and Thunder. I think it's probably going to be the most popular choice on a lot of folks lists. And, And I agree with all the reasons that they would choose it. Uh, but the reason why I think I would give Eternals the edge for me right now is it's the only one on the, well, Shang-Chi is the other one. It's Eternals and Shang-Chi are the only two that are completely brand new franchises. But I think Eternals, that cast is unbelievable. And I'm a big, big fan of Chloe Zhao as a director. And I just feel like there's something special there. And there's just such a huge curiosity factor. And that's yeah. the stuff that actually really excites me is, with all these other movies, I can kind of start to picture in my head what those movies are. And even Shang-Chi, I can picture in my head a little bit what that movie is. And as exciting as those images are, as I run them through my brain, I, I have a harder time picturing Eternals, but that's what's exciting about it, is it just drives the curiosity factor so much because I know they're going off book. And even the books that they have, there's just not that much material there. So they can go really anywhere they want to with this particular story and with this particular set of characters. And it's also one of my favorite things to watch Marvel Studios do. It's one of my been one of my favorite things and what I've found so impressive, quite possibly the most impressive out of anything Marvel Studios has done over these past 11 years and change now is the way they have continued to over and over and over again, take characters that audiences know so little about or maybe nothing at all about and just be able to establish that connection and get audiences to fall in love with these brand new characters to the point where audiences love them as much as they love them as much as they love the characters that they've known about for all of their lives. You know, the fact that we live in a world where a black Panther movie has made more money than any Spider-Man or Iron Man movie or Batman movie that's ever been made. That's an incredible feat on the part of Marvel studios. And so when they do things like that with characters like guardians of the galaxy, or as I anticipate Eternals next year, it just really, really excites me. Yeah, that would be the one that excites me too because again, I'm I am very unfamiliar with it. I think it does open up um, uh, literally and figuratively a whole another universe. And I think it's it's interesting too of all of the new properties, the star power that they are putting behind this in terms of the actors mm-hmm. with the Angelina Jolie and Selma Hayek. It, yep. it speaks volumes, I think, to me about what they expect and or want this film and I have to assume series of films to be. And I think that's part of the reason why um, the, the unknown um, and everything that's sort of surrounding it, it really, really has me excited for this one. I think probably most. Yeah. 
And, you know, we were talking um, just to sort of come full circle. We were talking before we started recording about everything that we know that's coming to the theme parks and, and these characters coming to the parks. We know that they exist in overseas parks. They're they're starting to make their way into Disney California Adventure. We know that this Marvel-themed land is set for DCA. I am incredibly excited, obviously, to have a, a Spider-Man attraction. But now with the Fox deal and what I think is going to be, um, I, I still believe that it's in everybody's best interests for Universal to give up their rights to have these older comic book versions of characters in the parks. They need the space. They probably don't like having to pay Disney to, to have the characters there. I mean, it makes sense for everybody on board. And I have to imagine that, listen, I would love for that to be an announcement at this year's D23. A little Lou Mangiello would lose his marbles, but I have to imagine something like that is coming so that there really is a full-blown, you know, true Marvel presence in both parks on the East and West coast. Yeah, that's my, uh, that's the top of my wish list for, uh, for D 23. I mean, I assume there will be more Marvel studios movie announcements. I mean, they are going to be part of the the movie panel. And, and so I'm, I'm expecting to hear at, at least one or two more movie titles there, maybe some more Disney plus stuff, but D 23, I mean, it, it really is about the parks. And so I, I can't wait to, to see what they announce. I mean, we've heard all kinds of stuff for DCA, Spider-Man attraction, Ant-Man microbrewery, a big storm an Avengers coaster. And, you know, all these stuff that, that are going to be all the stuff that's going to be happening in the years to come. But I hope we have uh, a much better idea of what that is, of what those are and when we're going to when we can expect to actually see them. Uh, by the time that parks panel is over on, on, uh, on Sunday, which I guess that's going to be the August 25th, I think is right. the date of that. So yeah, I, I can't wait to find out more about those kinds of things. And, and I'm with you. I mean, it, it's at the top of my wish list as far as can we just resolve this universal <laughs> right. issue once and for all? I mean, it, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. All it feels like now is just a big game of keep away. Uh, it, it really bugs me that Whatever happens with uh, this Marvel land, I mean, right, whatever they want to call it, they can't even use the name Marvel in DCA <laughs> officially. And that's something that, that definitely has to change. And, and, I, and I would love to see Disney be able to embrace it. As I told you before, I mean, I went to the, the superhero night earlier this year and the, the don't call it Marvel night. Uh, <laughs> and, and while it was fun, it just didn't feel as great as it could have because we couldn't call it what it was. And, and, and Disney couldn't call it what it was. Uh, and and brand it that way to really, I think, which would have boosted attendance for it. But yeah, I, I hope that that uh, I really hope that Universal stuff gets resolved sooner than later. And if that's if that's an announcement that happens at D twenty three, I mean, that's the only announcement. There will be other announcements that matter, but that would be the <laughs> one that, that would be the biggest takeaway for me. That would be the that would easily be the biggest victory. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's coming. Whether it's coming now, like I said, it's in it's in everybody's best interest. It's a win win. Look, we'll give you the Simpsons. You give us back Marvel. It's a it's a win win for everybody, and nobody has to worry about um, any sort of crossover here and there. But look, at the end of the day, Sean, it is a uh, it is a great time to be a Marvel fan because we have mm -hmm. it on the big screen, we have it on the small screen, we have it inside the theme parks, and um, there is such a uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. I can't even call it a renewed sense and love of superheroes and the genre, but I even love seeing this next generation coming up. You know, my son 
has gained this incredible interest in comic books because of the MCU. And, you know, we gained our love of the MCU because of the comic books, and it sort of comes full circle. And I am excited to see what the next year and few years and certainly um, the the long-term has for us in store. Yeah, it was so great to watch that presentation as it was unfolding in Hall H, as the, all these Phase 4 announcements were coming, and then even stuff beyond Phase 4 like Blade, because there's been, I'm sure that it's been in the air of what's Marvel Studios going to do after Avengers Endgame. So they're going to pay off this whole story from, you know, 11 years and, and 22 movies or 23, uh, adding Spider-Man Far From Home there as part of Phase 3, part of the Infinity Saga. How can they possibly follow it? And then Kevin Feige walks on a stage and says, here you go. And we're like, all right, <laughs> like we're good to go. It's just it's so much fun to see that Marvel Studios is still going to be going strong even after Avengers Endgame. Obviously, I was a big Marvel fan before the MCU was a thing, but I've become I've become a bigger Marvel fan as a result of the MCU. And what the best part about it is just being able to share that joy with so many more people, nieces and nephews who've grown up with these movies. I mean, I was already an adult when the first Iron Man movie came out. Um, I mean, I was a kid when I was sitting in the theater. <laughs> My brain was that of a, was that of a child when I've been watching these movies. But uh, it's been so much fun. And but the best part, though, is the way that that the joy that we've known was always there, and the great storytelling that that fans have known, fans of comic books have known was there. They're finally able to share it with their friends, their family, as a result of these movies. Whether that turns those friends and family members onto comic books or they're just content to continue to enjoy the movies. There's no bad way to be a Marvel fan, however you want to engage with it and engage with these characters. And Marvel Studios uh, certainly provides some uh, incredible opportunities uh, for all of us to continue engaging with these characters and stories. And I'll forever, uh, I will forever be grateful to Kevin Feige and the whole team for that. Uh, I echo every single thing that you said, and I am looking forward um you know, as much as I'm excited for parks and resorts, I'm really looking to forward to seeing what's next for Marvel and maybe even how those two tie in. You know, we're going to be on the floor at D23 Expo broadcasting live. I said to you earlier, I know you're going to be there as well. You're going to yep. have to come by either after parks and resorts and or after the studios panel. And uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot to discuss and a lot of t- to take in as well. I will definitely be there. Awesome, brother. Tell people where they can find you. So you can find me. I have a podcast where I talk about all this nerdy Marvel stuff. It's called Marvel Studios News. So you can find that on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. The Twitter handle for the show is at Marvel Newscast because you can't have a Twitter handle as long as Marvel (laughs) Studios News. Uh, You can find me if you want to find me personally on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Mr. Sean Gerber. Sean spelled S-E-A-N. Awesome. I will link to all that stuff in the show notes and on social I appreciate you coming on, brother. This has been a long time coming. Um, this has been a great time, and I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks at Expo. Me too. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. This was uh, this was really great. for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see or hear, yes, even taste. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I asked you to tell me, where did Figment 
actually get his name from. And Tony Baxter talked about this in detail about how he was watching a TV show and that's what inspired him to give this new, lovable, dare I say huggable, Epcot Center character his name. I want to first thank the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, or again, got very creative in some of your early 80s TV references. However, the answer that I was looking for was Magnum P.I., Tony talks all about how he was watching Magnum P.I. and how Magnum was in the garden with his butler Higgins and there was all these plants that were being uprooted and the place was a mess. Now, spoiler alert, Magnum was actually hiding a goat out there, but Higgins didn't know. So Higgins is like, hey, there's something's eating all the plants. And Magnum says, oh, it's just a figment of your imagination. To which Higgins replies, figments don't eat grass. So Tony's like, that's it. That's the name. The word figment means that it's a sprightly little character, but nobody ever really visualized it. So he felt that this new character was one that had meaning to people, but nobody ever actually saw what it was look like. So he said we had the name. It was just waiting there for us to design the shape of it. And just very quickly, as long as we're talking about figment and journey into your imagination and the fact that D23 Expo is coming up, the anniversary and changes coming to Epcot, I'm going to speculate as some of my thoughts on the future of the Journey to Imagination attraction, dare I say even the characters, on our upcoming D23 Expo predictions and preview show on Facebook Live on Wednesday, August 14th. So if you go to WW Radio Live, that'll take you to our Box People group and community on Facebook. Make sure that you join the group, come by, introduce yourself, and turn on notifications because, again, our D23 Expo preview and prediction show is going to be Wednesday, August 14th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. But I digress because last week's winner, randomly selected, is John Colasandro. So, John, congratulations. I have your shipping information. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we're obviously talking about Marvel on the big screen, the small screen, and yes, even a little bit in the parks. I think we're going to hear more about that again at D23 Expo, spoiler And there are, of course, I'm sure you know, legal reasons why currently, and I'll share my thoughts on that as well, why you can't meet Marvel characters in Walt Disney World, or can you? In fact, you can actually meet a Marvel character currently in Walt Disney World. I don't just mean the Guardians of the Galaxy show in Epcot, but one who has his own meet and greet and is quite huggable. And of course, I mean Baymax. But maybe you're saying to yourself, Lou, we can't actually meet any of the Avengers or characters that we talked about on this week's show. But at one time you could. And of course, I don't I don't just mean the Star-Lord and Groot meet and greet location. But in fact, there was actually a walk around Marvel Studios character, near I say an Avenger, that you could meet in Walt Disney World. So tell me, who was that Avenger that you could, at one, for a very brief time, meet as a walk-around character in Walt Disney World? You have until Sunday, August 11th at 11.59 p.m. to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the online form there. Again, you're going to play for all of my digital products, which is my 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the history, details, secrets, and stories of Magic Kingdom, including Toontown, Rest in Peace, a WW Radio vinyl sticker, a pop socket, and a WW Radio shirt. So good luck and have fun.
that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I know that your time is your most valuable commodity, and I sincerely appreciate you spending and sharing it with me. Don't forget that in addition to the podcast, please join me this and every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live. We broadcast live video on Facebook where you can be part of the conversation. And this week, we have a special guest. It's Dave Bossert, who was our guest last week. He'll be here not just to talk more about some of the projects that he's worked on on screen and in the parks, but answer your questions and maybe share something special just for you. And of course, the week following, don't forget that we'll also be doing our D23 Expo preview and prediction show that is going to be be on wednesday august 21st again 7 30 p.m eastern in terms of this week's show i'd love to hear from you your thoughts on what is on your marvel cinematic universe wish list what are you most excited about hearing favorite character team-ups in the parks maybe things you'd like to see on screen if you go to www.radio.com slash community that will take you to our box people group on facebook come by introduce yourself Talk about this week's show, ask a question, and again, just be part of the community and the conversation. You can also connect with me elsewhere on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. I am at Lou Mangello, and please be sure to like the WW Radio page on Facebook at facebook.com slash WW Radio. Thanks, as always, to some of the new and longtime members of our WW Radio Nation family. I am so grateful for your support and your friendship and your love and your help, and I also love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new members who've joined the hundreds of you who are part of the family, including Ann Eddy, Laura Sleeper, Tracy Arthur, Christopher Anderson, and Michelle Hull. Your welcome package and email is on the way. And if you want to not only help the show, but also get exclusive rewards every month, I create a new scavenger hunts in the parks and for the cruise line. We have access to a private Facebook group, custom magic band covers, logo gear, t-shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World. We also have exclusive live video group calls where you're not just watching me on Facebook, but we all get together on camera to talk about a variety of different topics. You can be part of the nation and the fun and help the show for as little as a dollar a month. Again, it's completely optional, but it's also a great way for you to help show your support for the show. And don't forget that a portion of the proceeds of your contributions do go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Wake-A-Wish Foundation of America. Again, to find out more, you can visit www.radio.com support. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, or be heard on the air by leaving a voicemail at 407-900-9391. And again, as much as I love connecting with you and talking with you online, I'm a firm believer that nothing still beats a handshake and a hug. It's why I continue to do monthly meetups in the parks as well as special events. Our August meet of the month is going to be a little bit tricky because of the timing of D23 Expo. So our meetup for August will most likely be in or around Disneyland just before Expo. I'm trying to find exact time and location. Stay tuned to the show, to Facebook, and our events page over at www.radio.com slash events. There you can also find out about not just Meet of the Month, but other group events like Adventures by Disney. We still have some day one pricing available for our New Orleans cruise in February 2020. Lots of other special events coming up. You can also find out where I'll be doing meetups, not necessarily in Walt Disney World or even the Disney parks, but on the road as I travel to speak. And if I can come to speak to your conference, event, or school, you can visit loumangelo.com, click on the speaking tab there, find out how I can talk to you about 
Using Disney as an example of great customer service, what we can learn and implement from the Disney parks and or Walt Disney, social media, live video, the power of community, as well as topics specifically geared towards students from middle school through college. I can come to your business, to your event, or even present virtually. Again, to find out more, visit lumangelo.com. While you're there, also find out how I can help you individually, whether it's one-on-one mentoring, small group coaching, or my Momentum Weekend Workshop this September 28th and 29th in Walt Disney World. It's built on the pillars of inspiration, education, and community More importantly, as somebody who's gone to a lot of conferences, I wanted to create something where you not just learn, but start to execute on what you learn right away in the room and meet and work with others right away to help you take your idea, your brand, or your business to to the next level. So whether you are a blogger, a podcaster, a content creator, have a product or a brick and mortar store, we can help you. I'm going to have more details, including session topics and our first round of speakers announced this week. Although last week I did announce that our keynote speaker is going to be Steve Schussler, who, as you know, is the founder and creator of The Boathouse, T-Rex Cafe, Rainforest Cafe, Yak and Yeti in Walt Disney World. The event is currently more than 60% sold out, but I still have, just for you, my friend, a special discount code. If you use code WDWRADIO100 at checkout, you'll save $100 off your ticket. Again, to find out more, just visit lumangelo.com. Thanks as always to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider, and my booth buddies over at the D23 Expo. So if you're going to be out there, come by and check out our booth on the show floor in the Emporium. And if you're planning your next trip, not just to any Disney destination, but any destination on the planet, the entire team at Mouse Fan Travel will give you all available discounts all at no cost to you and an exceptional level of personal service, which really is their hallmark. Visit them at mousefantravel.com. And of course, go to Celebrations Press and subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we've met yet or not, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, all I ask, though, is if you like the show to please help spread the word. That's how our community grows and, and grows the right way. So tweet out that you're listening. Share a link to this or your favorite episode on Facebook. And if you can, take just 15 seconds to rate and review the show over on iTunes. Thanks to you, we have more than 2,000 five-star reviews. I'd love to keep them coming. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Satira M., who says, This is the thing that Disney dreams are made of. I love Lou and the joy he spreads to the podcast. So well put together. My favorite Disney podcast by far. Reven says, I started listening before my trip in October. I've been binging the last week, so I'm planning my next trip. So much great info, reviews, and top tens. Every aspect of Disney is covered, and I love it. If you're looking for Disney without being in Disney, this is it. I get my fix just listening to everything they talk about. Gets me excited for my trip, wanting to go to the parks they talk about, and of course, eat at the restaurants they're reviewing or staying at the resorts. If you like Disney, you'll love this podcast. And Schmalex007 says, I just started listening to the pod this week as I was waiting for an audiobook to become available at my library. And I got to say, I just might forget about the book and keep with this instead. Very entertaining. Love the history about the parks and how it came to be. I'm going in 2020, and this show made me even more excited about going. Schmalex, Satira, and Reven, thank you all so very much for taking the time to not only listen, but to review the show. Go to www.radio.com slash iTunes to find out exactly how and where to review the show or just search for WDW Radio and iTunes. And finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you. You, by virtue of listening and your time and your love and the support, whether we have literally met or even communicated in the past, you don't realize that 
what you have done is is helped make dreams that I never knew that I had come true. And it continues to make me think of that quote from Walt. It's why I do what I do, not just on the show, but wanting to help other people pursue their passion and turn what they love into what they do. Because Walt's right is that all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. And Walt, I would even append it by saying sometimes we need a little bit of help. And if there's some way that I can help you find and pursue and achieve those dreams, please, please, please let me know. I hope that this is your best week ever. Thank you so very much for listening. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. It's Elizabeth from Massachusetts. I just finished listening to your most recent episode on the top 10 little things that you miss. Um, so two immediately came to mind, and I'm so excited for part two. Uh, number one, the jalapeno cheesy pretzels are no longer, at least from what I understand, served in the parks. And they were my absolute favorite snack food. And I miss them every single day. You used to be able to get them in Hollywood Studios and Animal Kingdom. And then for a little while, they were only available in Typhoon Lagoon. However, maybe they are. Maybe someone knows that if they are. I have not been to Typhoon Lagoon now in a few years. So maybe I'm wrong, but I miss those. The other thing is I agree with Tim that there was a day and age when you could go on Splash Mountain and totally enjoy the ride aspect of it and not get soaked. And I feel like at this point, you cannot go on that ride, at least I do too, without getting absolutely, completely soaked. Like, I was just there in May, and it was kind of a cold night, but I got completely drenched and was slightly Disney miserable for about an hour after. So, those are the two things um, that I just wanted to call in about. I'm very excited for part two, and thanks, guys, for always doing these top tens and making them so much fun. Talk to you later, Mike. Hey, Lou. This is Brian Harvey calling. I am. I had to talk to somebody. I am so excited. You have no idea. I got my email this morning, and I have reservations for Galaxy's Edge the day after my birthday. So we're going on the 20th of August, 9 o'clock in the morning. And to say I'm excited is putting it mildly. I have a passport, but I don't know if it's good for interstellar travel. Maybe you and Becky can help with that. Anyway, um, one thing I did want to uh, mention to you, when uh, some time ago you were talking about Disney and space, and through the whole show I kept saying, mention Moon Pilot, mention Moon Pilot. It's one of my favorite films. I remember seeing it as a, as a little boy. And, of course, being a Disney movie, it ended with a Sherman Brothers song called The Seven Moons of Beta Lyrae, which, of course, you can find on YouTube now. And, of course, every moon is made for love. Anyway, Lou, have a great day, and I'll see you in a galaxy far, far away. Hey, Lou, it's Matthew from Freehold, New Jersey. Hope everyone's doing well. Calling about my two, two things that I think I missed, about, missed from the parks. One, Disney dollars. It was just a fun little token. Um, you could spend it. You could teach currency. It just, in the characters on it was just really cool, really nice. The other thing I miss is when you got to go to Epcot, Epcot Center, and go to behind Spaceship Earth into the building there, the show building, and get to make your dining reservations on the video screen with a cast member for that day. 
that's where you made your ADRs then, this back in the 80s. And it was a video communication, which was then futuristic. It felt like you were in the Jetsons. Now, you know, it's so common day. But then I remember that was always cool, watching my family go up and talking to with a cast member live in person, setting up dining reservations for wherever that day when we were in Epcot. So, beginning to share that. Hope everyone's doing well in the box. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison from Flower Town, PA. I'm out doing my evening rounds this evening, and um, I knew you guys would all understand this, and if I tell anybody else, you're going to think I'm nuts, but I walked in this house, and it smelled exactly like the Mexico Pavilion in Epcot when you walk in there, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the water from the ride, if it's spices. I have no idea, but I felt like I walked in there, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm in Mexico and Epcot. And to top it all off, the dog had Mickey Mouse bowls, which, you know, of course I noticed. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that part of those top ten smells of Disney World. Um, every time I walk in that pavilion, because it's my favorite, it takes me right back. Oh, God, I, I'm going to enjoy this uh, job every time I walk in that house. Anyway, I knew you guys would all understand, so um, I'll keep this between us. Have a great weekend, everybody. Make someone smile. See you in the box on Wednesday night. 7.30. One of the first hardcover books I ever bought was called The Art of Walt Disney. And it was a big, beautiful book. And I don't know, I might have been nine, 10 years old or so, but I bought that book and I treasured it because I loved all the cartoons. To be now a part in some sense of the Disney world is very uh, gratifying to me.